We're all on the Spartans bus. <laughs> we're not. We're not one bit happy. That's of us on this bus, and we're not one bit happy. For immediate reaction from around the grounds, catch League of Ireland late night every Friday, 10 p.m. on Twitter Spaces. Follow at Off the Ball. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Half past seven, Friday morning. You're very welcome along to OTBAM. Colin, good morning to you. Morning, Adrian. Oh, and Shane, welcome back. Hello. Very much. How are you? How are you doing? Yeah, very well. Welcome back to yourself as well. Haven't tilt seen you since last Friday. Tilt your laptop forward there, small bit oh, if yeah. you don't mind, and give everybody. No, the other way, the other way, the other oh, way. Yeah, give everybody a, a look works. at that sweet, sweet jersey. Yeah. What have you got on you? Shout out to uh, Barcelona Gales who dropped over uh, GA jersey to. Uh, my Airbnb the other day. Shout out to Owen, the chairman, uh, who came over and said, "If you wear this on studio, in studio on OTBAM, I'll give you a free jersey." And uh, this it is. So uh, any other free gifts, I think, is uh, probably yeah. what we're trying to say this morning, would be greatly appreciated. And uh, we will do anything for free kit. Is it a good t- jersey? T- yeah. T- t- get your laptop out of the way there. We can't see it at all properly. There we go. It's like yeah. um, it's got little here. bits of the. Barcelona FC jersey yeah. going on, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Cullum is our resident uh, jersey expert, so expect oh, yeah. everybody in Barcelona Gales to rip your jersey apart here, <laughs> figuratively. Am I? Uh, I thought uh, Joseph Conroy was the kind of not here, jersey. Is he? He's not here. Yeah, he's not he, here right he now, so yeah, I'll take over. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, it's beautiful. It is good. Very nice. And it's actually kind of what I expected when you told me yesterday that you are going to wear it without ever seeing it. Predictable. Why did I think that? Good. Because you were in the, Barcelona. Uh, what? Was that where the festival was? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, sorry, you didn't realise that. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's. I think exactly there are a lot right. of people, like, I mean, some people, obviously, the super fans will have known exactly sort of uh, blow by blow what you've been doing with your last few days. Primavera. Only the super fans. Primavera. Yeah. They'll probably be wondering why I plugged myself out before weekend too, but such is the life of a professional, just a professional, that I decided to be back <laughs> in stop. this morning uh, yeah. for, for Friday's OTB AM. I texted a friend, I was like, um, You were at Primavera? And she said, Yeah. And uh, I was like, how is it? And she was like, day one equals fire fest. Yeah. Day two was, improved. That was the thing. People, wow. lo- people love to complain. What and, was the story? Uh, day one being compared to fire fest was uh, one of the, the funniest things of all time, really. You know, fire fest where well, people were... Where did that come from, people, though? Uh, a long queue for the bar. People ah. just don't like queuing. Was for that, it? That, that it? Was that it? Did they see That's fire fest? Fire fest. That's not like... to be fair. To be fair, it was like uh, water taps. Uh, a very, I think, does Glastonbury have something like 850 water taps? Is a statistic. And Primavera had three on the oh. first day and most of them just weren't working after a couple of hours. So I think that was, uh, you know, uh, a they real They needed somebody threat. to go down and talk to the port captain. Was that it? They did. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> <that> the reference? <laughs> so they put it... <laughs> So, uh, yeah, they, fi- they fixed that after a time, but um, people, people love to complain. I saw somebody on Reddit being like, this festival wouldn't have, would have been great if it wasn't for all the British and Irish people here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we've been uh, lumped in there and uh, being blamed for people's problems, which, uh, you know what, isn't a bad thing. We've asked you to stick together your top what, five. You didn't ask me to do anything. Cullum texted me yesterday being like, uh, who was going to the festival? Like, like I thought any good mate would ask. So I did it that, and apparently this was actually for an item. No, I just I just wanted to know what you had done with your life, like because I had seen the Instagram story was just act after act, and I wanted to know well who stood out for you. Yeah, and then Fair myself question. and Adrian happened to be talking, and then we were like, well, let's listen to this music. So last night, oh, this I is went gonna, through, this is going to be very how do you do, fellow kids uh, radio, isn't it? <laughs> I went through uh, said music. I listened to a few jingles, and uh, yeah, but like, I thought I, they were very I impressive. Did, I did flag up that there was no way I was going to even know. I, I would never have heard any of the acts that you were going to suggest, which, as it turns okay. out... You're into more happening. intense music than I anticipated. Poor, it it, sure it was real uh, Hacienda stuff. Do you want to give us your That's top five in reverse order? 
Yeah, well, like I mean, you're painting this as if this is like some sort of uh, hipster off-piste festival, but it's like one of the biggest music festivals in the world, where the, the biggest artists uh, are there. This I, is not like some. I was sort going of, to include uh, both of us, but I'll definitely speak for myself. A hundred percent, all of those things for yeah. I mean, like me, it's, this is new music. Finally, finally. I was, that, oh, I was that Noel Gallagher when you were listening to insert uh, cool fi- bad name. Finally, somebody who speaks my language on the show, Adrian Barry, <laughs> my, my kindred spirit. <laughs> Come on, give us the top five. Yeah, go on. Oh, and oh, well, new music. I'm not giving you a top five. I can't. No, you did list out a Come few. Come on, there's I people out there now who are like, you've been to Pumperry, you've gone and done the research, give them a playlist I, for the weekend. I'm not going to give you a playlist for the weekend, but oh. I, I will say the, the best gig I saw all weekend was Little Sims, oh, one yeah. of the, the best British rappers in the world right now. She's on course to be the best British rapper in the world. Her last album, absolutely sensational. Played the Academy only last year and then played, what was it, maybe the second biggest stage over there to, to thousands of people last week. So that was, uh, that, that for me was the highlight. Well, you listed out a few more as well. Avalanches, yeah, Avalanches meets Bob Marley meets. So I was trying to, I was trying to think about it. Is that, was that, your, a, was that your review? Meets something. Yeah, I can read it. I'm not quite sure. So you mentioned uh, Gorillas. I've heard of them. Yeah, Clint Eastwood. This little known, uh, this little known yeah. band. Then I uh, mentioned uh, Caribou. Caribou were great. Attempted to say Caribou. As in the cup. Well, they, it, what, what happened? bring it back to sport. The, the, the strokes pulled out, which was a big disappointment. But that oh, allowed us all to really? go see Caribou. Who was Caribou have thing. a bit of a vibe of the five o'clock and you're creaming the last out of the night vibe about them. Absolutely not. 5 a.m.? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then also mentioned Fred again. So yeah. Adrian again, very mainstream. Being like, uh, well, well, oh, well, there's well, some well. bangers here. Mm. And then <laughs> Adrian said, uh, Fred Arish, very good. So then I typed into Spotify, Fred Arish. I was like, but there's no, there's no, there's no What's bad. That? What's that? There's nobody called Fred Arish. I had to go back into my uh, notes from you. Fred again, also very good. Mm-hmm. Um, very good there like, were two of us exceptional last note. night and exceptional. Uh, so what we're going to do here is we're going to bring Adrian Barry to a Fred again concert next time he's playing oh, I, do, be I do believe he's playing all together now in the August Bank holiday weekend so <laughs> got to bring Adrian Barry along for that this is not like you're wheeling your granddad out of the I mean I it appreciate that I'm that. a slightly oh, older, you know older like generation Smaz who claims to know about music I was playing her a few songs for, for anybody right. that's your wife, wife is it yeah, yeah. and uh, but it's just for us and uh, <laughs> she was like uh, I, don't, I don't know I don't know them but annoyingly like I, I don't really know them but right. I liked liked a few of the songs and was like oh I like Owen's taste okay. Halado Negro was the other one Hala- she, excellent. oh excellent, she loved yeah. Halado and yeah, she great. was like she said uh, shoehorn the reference to what he uh, reminds me of uh, another artist that she likes and she was like say it naturally so it's like your own words but I can't remember the artist I thought well, it sounded great anyway Halado, it was really Halado, good like I honest to God it was if, brilliant if John Major had it been John Lennon that's what the Beatles would have sounded like <laughs> <laughs> clip that, um, clip well, that I mean that. that's that's a sentence I didn't think clip I'd that. hear um, no yeah they're a bit no I, I, a bit I, like, I'm not oh, sure what that even means to be, bit, to be quite 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 do you have a tattoo uh, I do not have a tattoo. You Dave, Kaz wants to know: Did you uh, did you get a drunken tattoo? I wouldn't have. Uh, no, I wouldn't get it. Be an impulse for you. No, I wouldn't. I I would if I could. If I saw myself as somebody who could pull off a tattoo, I would definitely have a tattoo. But I don't see myself as somebody who can do that. So, um, no, Dave, Kaz, sorry about that. But uh, any suggestions? I will. I will get one. Have you been following the trials and tribulations of the Republic of Ireland? Unlike Stephen Doyle was over there as well. He went to an Irish bar to watch uh, yeah. the first of uh, the two games. Uh, I declined Armenia to do I know this. Uh, no, I know. <laughs> uh, I, I have spent most of the last 24 hours catching up on what feels like, you know, uh, Groundhog Day once again. And even like reading the papers this morning, it's like, wow, we've just been beaten by Luxembourg again, where all the good things that hadn't yet happened come the Luxembourg game 
had almost been erased and we were kind of back to that place where nothing good had happened to this team at any point over the last little while and it feels that the mid music is, is desperate all of a sudden like the headlines this morning that he's on his last leg Stephen Kenny that is in terms of his role that things are going to be assessed over the next little while the results are really really bad but it feels that we all have this itch to fix Irish football very quickly sorry no fix the senior international men's team very very quickly and that impulse for the results to be better in the here and now is is definitely front and centre isn't it mm. did you catch any of the Ukraine game yeah, yeah yeah I've seen I've seen a lot of them back I you've seen the highlights which would have been about 30 seconds from both games yeah fairly no, it's, yeah, a, it's yeah. a totally different experience because you were at the match Adrian yeah, yeah. I went to the uh, Ukraine match the other night brought my son five year old uh, first football match yeah. first time at the Aviva Everybody was buzzing very late, like he normally kick off time, but normally be his bedtime. So it was all a bit of an experience. But uh, great seats, three rows back. Oh, uh, really great view. Like good chance to see everything up, up close and personal. Uh, and it was just a bit brutal. Like sorry, there was you were expecting post Armenia there to be a bit of a reaction. You had to. It was the first thing we had to see, and it was great. Fifteen twenty minutes that was there. Um, you know, somewhat uh, creative, creating a couple of chances dominating the play and you thought jeez this is, this is actually going well the, the Armenian thing was a bit of a blip and then after that it just falls off the cliff a little bit and look I you know where where does the whole thing go from here obviously we play Scotland uh, tomorrow and and you're right like there's obviously a lot of coverage in the papers this morning about like how many more games does he have there's quotes from Jonathan Hill from around the time of the contract negotiations to say like that there is a clause in there that he can get out or they can get him out if needs be uh, without having to have a huge sort of payday <sighs> like they go and beat Scotland the mood music will change again It's that's the sort of place we're in with Stephen Kenny and this team at the minute and nobody's sure you know how much of the blame rests on his shoulders versus how much rests of the players the only thing I'd say about that is that we really, no matter who's managing the team and no matter who the players are, we really should have enough about us to beat Armenia and to be, at the very minimum, competitive against Ukraine second. So it's very hard to explain what the hell is going wrong. Well, we talked about it first thing yesterday morning and I would say like 99% of the comments coming in were essentially Kenny out in various forms. Um, what was the mood like at the stadium leaving the match? Uh, well, we, you'll be interested to know, left with 15 minutes to go, so I don't know exactly at, uh, ah. at full time. I was there with a five-year-old who was already two hours past his bedtime, so give me a break. Didn't we talk about this a few weeks we ago, did, leaving matches early? We did, but uh, to be fair, we had creamed. He wanted to go, uh, understandably, at half-time. So, you know, I think he was... <laughs> so he's he, properly Kenny he out. Was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was as unimpressed with everything as, as anybody. Uh, but no, we left with 15 minutes to go. Um, I felt like beforehand, like match-going fans are far different than yeah, 99% well, of people yeah. that were contact with the show yesterday in that everybody's optimistic just before kickoff. Like mm. <clears throat> you've you can have that short term memory bit and forget about the fact what went with Armenia and go, okay, fresh late, we're gonna get in, we're gonna get stuck in. So I think that there can be a difference to it. The atmosphere was a bit weird. There was like um stand up for the boys in green about fifteen, twenty minutes in mm-hmm. and then after that you know, and there was a bit of um we're with you Ukraine in advance as well, which I think lent itself to the atmosphere quite well. But yeah, just like once tw- after 20 minutes, everything just started to fall apart a bit. Obviously, you know, even at half time, you sort of regroup and you come out again and two minutes later, you're a goal down after a, and I've looked at that goal 20 times and I still don't know how it went in. I still don't know who's at fault. I know Damien Delaney on Virgin Media last night was firmly pointing the finger at Jeff Hendrick but, oh, really? um, for vacating that sort of first position. But like he was saying that he left a hole behind him. It looked to me as if Jeff Hendrick would want to be about 10 foot tall to have managed to 
either way I've made contact with that ball so um, it is you know should the keeper be coming out to command that space I don't know it was all a bit weird and the game was a bit weird and um, I mean we'll know a lot more after Scotland it does feel that I mean if Armenia are a level ahead of us and Ukraine's seconds team are a level ahead of us Scotland must be a couple of levels ahead of us so I don't know we'll if we go and beat Scotland, and it does look at the minute as if that's a fairly big if, that'll totally change yeah. the narrative again. Yeah, yeah the, the only thing you can say for certain about it then is that, regardless of what happens here, that there's still this, there are two wildly differing possibilities depending on each and every result. That even though we thought we had uh, some degree of closure, at least closure with regards to a certain chapter in this era of Irish football, I think the last couple of games have shown us that there was no closure whatsoever. This conversation is absolutely still alive. The whole idea of, you know, the FAI putting any contract talk to bed or any sort of job security being present. I think that, that what we, what we realize now is that that sort of stuff is, is not the reality when it comes to the public discourse around this team. What I find really interesting is that when you talk about, did you say 99% of people are Kenny out in the comments yesterday? Like, yeah. that it's, it's that level. <clears throat> And I'm not saying the 99% of people are wrong or anything. I'm not, I'm not quite sure what is the right answer at the moment. But I'm just surprised that, that is the, the, the magnitude of the support for a managerial change at this point. Given I felt a couple of years ago that, you know, the, everybody was kind of on board with we need a certain type yeah. of change. We, we can't keep covering things up with a plaster. We can't keep looking towards the outside in approach where we get a manager who has proven himself in the English leagues or has a certain amount of profile who can come in and cobble together a decent enough team who will get decent enough results and maybe Ireland will qualify for Euros every so often. It felt that the current sort of change was this sort of inside out as uh, arsy as that sounds sort of change where you know there would be a root and branch uh, analysis of Irish football and Irish football would blossom from the inside out but it turns out actually you know maybe we were too hopeful for that and 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 the manager for for the Republic of Ireland what position does that have in that sort of overhaul of of Irish football maybe you're putting the cart before the horse when it comes to a manager like this is yeah. is a possibility well the morning after reaction yesterday was stronger than uh, Wednesday night I found and yeah people seem to just given up on the whole thing but what is remarkable is that has there ever been uh, a more positive feeling of this Stephen Kenny era than lunchtime last Saturday before the Armenia match started I mean and that's it's on tenthooks this whole thing because the results have been good up to that point and the other record is you know two wins in 17 competitive games under Stephen Kenny but those matches that uh, Ireland have lost under his reign They've all been by a goal. You know, these are tight matches. These are fine lines. If Shane Duffy scores that header with five minutes to go against Ukraine, it's one all. And we're thinking, well, a poor performance. But, you know, a lot of people say it's a results business. That People throw that against them all the time. So if you get a point, it's like one point in two games, not great, not terrible. That's how fine a margin Big it is. Though, isn't it? it's, it's if we'd have scored a goal, this would have been different. Totally. And we just don't. Outside of the odd Shane Duffy, like some of our set piece play against Armenia was... It was hard to figure out how it could possibly be so bad. Yeah, it was so it was yeah, desperate, yeah, yeah. and not all like oh, Anthony Barry is gone, and you know the nuance of our set piece is not right. It wasn't the nuance; it was like the delivery of corners, free kicks, whatever it was, was absolutely brutal. I just think it's a big if, and like you're saying, on you know, I don't know, are the ninety nine percent wrong? I think that now, right now, you know, people are saying Kenny out. Are they saying get rid of him now, right now? Like, I mean, that's wrong. For sure. 
Let's wait and see what happens with I Scotland. I think we're talking like a, a matter of games here. We're, yeah, we're talking about... I think that's the fair. End of, the end of this We're talking about before September yeah, is, yeah. Is, is, is when a, a new but manager will be... There's two more matches to go. But so the, a lot of people are saying this time next week will, uh, Ireland will have uh, the vacant role of manager. That, well, it's, that's being... It's been reported in the, the, the Star and the Mail this morning that at the end of this month there could be serious conversations had if the results don't pick up soon, which yeah. is the next two fixtures. Yeah. And what's interesting is that in Philip Grin's piece in the Mail he lists out the possible replacements. So Chris Hewton, it seems to me, uh, kind of like stands head and shoulders above the other candidates at the moment. He is... I think you made the point in the show yesterday, Colm, the guy who was always mentioned when it comes to the conversations around oh, the Ireland show. Will. There was Will. Uh, it was yeah, a Will. Sorry, yeah. apologies, Will. Yeah. Second up, Lee Carsley. Lee Carsley's not going to... T- is he going to take the Republic of Ireland senior job? Maybe, uh, maybe the senior job. Are you, are you like, saying this, the Ireland senior job is below him? Like, I mean, there's a, a possibility that any job within, think, the, within the FAI is below Lee Carsley, who's working for the FA. The under-21 manager. Like, with the, th- then there's like Mike O'Neill, Neil Lennon, Jim Goodwin also come into consideration. And the FAI will be wary of appointing Roy Keane, he says. So is Roy Keane, do I take that sentence as Roy Keane is also at the list and they're just wary of that option? Or why, did, why, is, that, why is that in there? Um, these are these are the options. Uh, so else so would love this project, <laughs> wouldn't he? Would love it. And um, I think he's how would we cope with Marcelo? I think he'd love that. Um, Robert Lynch in the YouTube comments. Thank God, Owen is back. At least there's a bit of class on today's show. We've missed him. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's uh, Robert. I appreciate your irony. Robert. No, that's absolutely right. A bit of class. You're included in that. I'm, and I'm agreeing with him. I mean, the wine and cheese. <laughs> what, do you, what do you expect me to, uh, to defend myself here? I thought you were always on about how classy you were. The, che- the cheese board guy is the scumbag is that, of the TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't think you'll ever find me saying that, Colin, but um, thank, you for, the text thank you for the, the reference. The um, we are going to talk a lot more football, so if you've thought about it, do lash them into us over the course of the morning. We bring them um, to our audience. Like, Colm's um, plucked out of his armpit 99% of people wanted Stephen Kenny out. I would be interested to know, um, yeah, how people are feeling about that. That too. was the comment section... Okay. on yesterday morning's live YouTube stream. Um, so, if you have slightly different opinion, fire us in your comments, we'll, we'll get to them. The other thing is the Live Golf stuff has kicked off. Um, you'd nearly be half reluctant to talk about it, and hopefully at some point or another, we will stop talking about it. But I think for now, given that it's the initial and inaugural um, tournament on this, whatever the hell it is, uh, tour, series, whatever you want to call it, um, is up and running. Interesting development yesterday. Another... Um, Press conference from Graham McDowell, of course, being one of these things. I think we have a clip of that for people who haven't seen it. Have we got a clip? No, no clip no, of that, no but we clip. do have so, the... Uh, and just just yeah. on the McDowell stuff. So he's come out again and he's been saying, you know, that he's um, very disgruntled with the PGA Tour, who've now banned uh, the players who were members of their tour from uh, playing at the PGA Tour on, on foot of this. Ian Poulter is one of those who's saying today that he's gone to... It's all very unfair um, and he's going to... He's not accepting this and he's going to go and challenge it. Uh, McDowell had resigned from the PGA Tour as a preemptive move half an hour before he teed off, um, before the statement came through. So um, we'll see how all that plays out. Um and yeah, I don't know. Uh, McDowell also had some other sort of mind-boggling stuff to say in his press conference yesterday. It's worth checking out. It's about three minutes long. Um, I sort of was of the view up to this point that these players lived have lived in a bubble for so many years that they are unaware of all these other factors. And then obviously the press conference this week started to pierce that bubble a little bit. But then I started to think like if I was in their boots, you've got family. They're not just. It's not just that I live in my bubble and I don't ever come into contact with the real world. They have real people around them, even though they're slightly detached from that, in family, I presume. Does, is nobody tapping them on the shoulder going, Graham, would you shut up? This sounds terrible. 
please have some sort of a self self awareness. He was talking yesterday about them executing the plan around the, like the language that he using is using is just so uh, lacking in any self awareness that it's um, borderline disgusting. There was also the Alan Shipnick stuff. He's a go- very prominent golf journalist who wrote all the stuff about Phil. You might remember a few months ago with Phil. With Phil, even though Phil maybe, and the evidence yesterday suggests that he definitely was thinking that he didn't know about it, but he, Phil was having a press conference yesterday, Alan Shipnock went to cover it, he was stood at the back of the room listening to the quotes and a couple of heavies, as you can see on the screen here now, um, walked him out of the, now just keep an eye over the, the, what would be the left shoulder of the heavy on the left hand side there, or his right shoulder, you can see a little baseball cap in the background there. Uh, and you'll see in a minute that that is none other than Greg Norman, who's the man responsible for pulling all this stuff together on the uh, Live Golf Invitational. There he is. That's his little gilet there poking out. And that's Alan Shipnock yeah. in the beard. And he's talking to James Corrigan, another golf writer. And Alan Shipnock has been told that he's not welcome at the press conference, Phil Mickelson's press conference. Um, so, And that's for the reasons I've mentioned, that they had had all those sort of off-the-record conversations that ended up being on the record. And then he texts Greg Norman, who stood there behind. Now it is back to him, but I've been watching all this for the previous 30 seconds. Text Greg Norman to say, hey, Greg, was removed by a couple of your heavies. Um, you know, what's the story? And Greg replies, did not hear. Thanks for letting me know. <laughs> you know, the Undertaker... You know, okay. That screen grab. You know that Undertaker meme where Undertaker's just standing in the background <laughs> peering at his <laughs> adversity... Um, I mean, oh, he really has walked himself into the doo doo now because if he'd removed the did not hear bit, everything else would have been absolutely fine. But, like, you know, that I would mean, have been one of the coldest texts in history if he had removed the first sentence. Well, I don't said, think there was a huge amount of warmth about it anyway, or any sort of commitment to thanks for letting me know. I'll have a look into that. It was like, F off. I couldn't. No, the first I, part I, is a bit, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, thanks for letting me know. Mm. But if you leave out the first part, that's cold, especially with the stance in the background. Like I mean, it's obviously it would if if it wasn't such a such a grim situation, it would obviously be uh, a lot funnier. But what I, like there were other far more important things going on here. But just on the on the GMAC thing, yeah. Uh, and I'm going to I'm I'm not not referring to him by his real name. He is GMAC from from now on, like the worst nickname of all time for um for a guy who I guess I've seen like so many people like commenting on his accent yesterday and like slating him for his accent which I thought was a, a ship that had sailed years and years and years ago, that it, it kind of feels that like new people are being magnetised towards Graham McDowell over the course of this week because of mm. Live Golf. And in a weird way, like who who stands out to you over the last couple of days in terms of, I guess, putting their foot in it a little bit with regards to the words that they've spoken? I'd say McDowell is right up there in terms of the people oh, who, he just have, needs to who just have essentially talking, become uh, spokespeople for Live Golf mm. or Live Laugh Golf love golf as I like to call them uh, and just by extension be the face of this sort of new regime in golf which is the whole point of sports washing you know essentially duping people into being representatives for the regime that you want to, to sports wash Graham McDowell is sports washer in chief for Saudi Arabia it turns out which is not a sentence I don't think any of us would have imagined saying 12 months ago even a week ago like I, I to be reminded that McDowell was even in this thing, I'd completely forgotten that he'd been signed up to this whole thing. And DJ managed to grab the headlines of being the most high-profile golfer. But as things have transpired over the last couple of days, it's been G Mac soundbites that have stood head and shoulders above the rest. Uh, he is the face of the operation now. 
Well, he's this is a guy who's become a total irrelevance to competitive golf. You have to remind yourself of well, that. Well, the Sky Sports he's, Super yesterday was absolutely fantastic. Well, he's clinging on, as the Sky Sports Super would indicate, to the top 400 in the world. He's over the last he the last time he won a tournament of any significance was the guts of 10 years ago. He's won a couple of um, <clears throat> I'm reluctant to say Mickey Mouse but let's go with the tournaments uh, during that time uh, alternative events when the when the big guns were off playing actual events he won one in 2019 maybe a one in 2015 when the best players were elsewhere like he's been sat in the veranda of his golf career for the last seven or eight years and he's sitting there whiling away the time sucking on a couple of cold beers and uh, you know nobody's passing Sounds by like a good life somebody's nobody's passing by, passing by too much to say hello and suddenly the gold bullion turns up bags of cash on his veranda when he's wearing his cowboy boots, boots to extend the analogy and like who's who's sat up in the up in the horses but his old buddies Greg Norman and Phil Mickelson and it turns out they're like oh you're 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 our guy. We want you. We love you. And he's like, oh, the big guys really like me. They love me. Let's go and do this thing." Wait. He looks like a Wait till Saudi Arabia find out that Graham McDowell likes a cold beer. He will be turfed out of this thing ASAP. Yeah. Show ponies in polo shirts and slacks was a great line that I read from Ewan Murray in the Guardian yesterday, which uh, kind of summed the whole thing up. Um and you Phil talking about the short, his shortcomings he's had and the therapy that he's been going through. <laughs> Like oh, I've become a better person, and he's out swinging it around as uh, as you say, on uh, leading the way for sports washing. Yeah, well, he refused to talk about it really yesterday, Phil. When he was asked about it afterwards, he kept him kind of being the fifth. Thought, so, yeah, he's going to keep him doing that, but uh, it's a good place as any to leave it because this story is very frustrating. It's not going anywhere anytime soon either, right? It's uh, five to eight. Here's what's coming up at the show between now and ten this morning. OTB AM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Karen Duggan is patiently standing by. We're going to talk to her uh, about the Republic of Ireland in just a couple of moments' time. The now former Meath manager Andy McIntyre will be live in studio with us in about 15, 20 minutes' time. Sports news after that, 25 to 9. We have Alan Quinlan and Ronan Agara, dynamic duo, coming your way at 10 to 9 this morning. So again, any questions uh, for both of those do please uh, get in touch. Damien Brown and Fergus Farrell will be with us at uh, 10 past nine. These were the two rowers that are leaving New York City, possibly as early as today, to row to Galway and try and beat that record of 55 days and 13 hours. Uh, we spoke to, I was going to say we spoke to both of them. We spoke to Damien about three months ago and Fergus was, uh, you might remember, thrown out of the hostel, I think, that he was in, or the uh, hostelry that he was in at that time. Uh, for whatever reason so we must get to the bottom of that story as well and uh, then we'll have Claire Shine who was in conversation uh, great conversation with Nathan on last night's show so that is uh, the lineup for you this morning and as I said please do um, get your comments coming into us wherever it is that you are watching us this morning let's turn our attention now to uh, back to the football to the Republic of Ireland and say good morning again to the host of uh, the Coy Gig Pod Karen Duggan morning to you Morning, Harry. Good, and thanks for patiently waiting for us there. We were chatting this day last week about the optimism in the air. Uh, I asked you for a prediction of what would be a good haul of points over the course of the few games. Uh, two wins and a draw uh, was how you were looking at it. How far back have the results and the performances of the last two games set us? Yeah, that was that was when I was young and optimistic. <laughs> um, I've aged significantly <laughs> watching the two games since then, unfortunately. Um yeah, little little cause for optimism. I suppose, again, we'll look at it being the end of a long season for a lot of people, but the Nations League was put in place to make these games more competitive and give the players a bit more pep in their step when they come out to play these games. And the Armenia game just lacked so much energy. Um, and it kind of just 
highlighted the lack of creativity we do have. We can have a lot of possession and we can play a little bit more, but when it gets to the final third, we're still very static. Um, and as well, we started with a bit more energy against the Ukraine and we pressed okay. Again, I felt like there was no real movement that threatened the back three of Ukraine. And then when they got to grips with that, a very inexperienced backline, I think there was about five caps between them. Um, once they got to grips with that and they started putting their foot on the ball, we were really exposed in midfield again. And I think that was because of the formation we set out in. Um, we've conceded those long distance goals against Armenia. I think we would have learned a lesson to pack another man into midfield to kind of shore up that bit in front of our defence. And Stephen Kenny didn't do that. And that's where I would have my questioning over him because it was obvious after the Armenia game that was a replicate of goals we've seen against the likes of Luxembourg before. And then at halftime, I felt like it was really obvious that we needed a change of formation if he, was, if he wasn't going to change any players. Um, so that was a big cause of disappointment for me on the, on the management side. So, so is it immediately a formation change for Scotland tomorrow if you were in charge, Karen, and I, go, I guess ditch the three at the back and put one of those men in midfield? Now, if you want to stay three at the back, that's fine, but I would go three five two as opposed to right. the, the three four three. I think Jason Knight started the bell when he got a couple of balls when he drifted inside, but we we caused nothing in terms of width. Um I thought that our wing backs were too close to our centre backs, so it looked like we were playing five and it made it very easy for the Ukraine strikers to kind of occupy our wing backs and our centre backs. They they were just drifting in off the wings and our centre backs were far too slow to react to pick them up. Um, and they caused us a lot of trouble. And Ukraine's second string squad, you can say, OK, they're still full of, they're 27th in the world. They're still going to be looking at players who are playing Champions League. It's their second string squad in a game that would have meant very little to them, really. Um, and we just looked like we were at sixes and sevens at the back. And that's coming from the likes of Duffy and Egan, who are our most experienced pairs. You'd have to wonder how comfortable they are in the current formation do we need to go back to basics a little bit more and start getting the ball out wide, whip crosses into the box? And I think that that might work better with a different formation. And even looking at the likes of bringing in the experience of McLean, who will just run up and down the line all day and just offer a bit more width there. Yeah, a bit of energy. Like, you'd have to assume that they're having those conversations internally, Karen, right? Like, they're not unaware of the fact that those points that you're making, particularly about obviously the being overrun in midfield, so at some point or another, like within the game, he decides, well, we can't change the formation now, but at some point or another, it's going to come to it, isn't it? Like it's, we, we, we have changed formation from, from the earlier setup to what it was at post Bulgaria, where we moved into this new setup at three at the back. Like there's an almost an ego conversation, is there at some point or another where he's like, I kind of, I got to stick with this. This is my plan or I'm going to lose my job here if I don't tweak this up. Yeah, I think they have to be more adaptable than they have been. I think it's worked when we have essentially been playing five at the back and we've gotten our good results against your better teams, your Belgians and your Portugals, and that's all well and good. But when we have a lot of possession against the likes of Armenia and we don't look as threatening as they do, I think that there's big question marks there. Now, I don't think we have the players to play the formation. I don't. It's not a bad formation. I'm sure it would work in a lot of cases, but you have to have really, really dynamic attackers. And I don't think that we're exactly blessed with that. So maybe if you drop a man into midfield and you get runners up front, he'll spin into those channels. Because the way it looked to me, it looked like Knight was very rigid on the left, that Robinson was very rigid in the centre, and Benny was very rigid on the right. 
and there was no real interchange between them. So then when our fullbacks got the ball, they were just looking at static players who were being marked. Um, and it's up to them to move better. So maybe it is a coaching piece just to get them more comfortable in those attacking positions. But I think that we should play to our strengths and get some quick, two quick players up front who will run into the challenge or into the channels and then bring the likes of Knight and Hendrick who are sitting behind into the play a bit more. Um, I just think that at the moment, Cullen is being exposed given that Hendrick is trying to join into the attack and, and make things happen. And it's just, it's not, it's breaking down very quickly. And then our centre-backs, they seem to just be dropping off. Maybe they're afraid of their pace. Collins brought a bit of pace to that back three, but they drop off too quickly. And then the, the gap between our attack and defence, it just seems huge. And it, I don't know, I think to me, it seems obvious. Um, maybe Stephen Kenny sees it differently because they have ha- had possession and have had some bright sparks with that formation. But um, I'd be definitely looking for a formation change against Scotland because I think Scotland, well, they'll be again, tired and disappointed with how their World Cup qualifying campaign ended. I think they have a lot of quality in their ranks and, and they have a lot of players who are playing at a much higher level than us. Um, so we need to to get back to basics and, and try and keep a clean sheet. And and that's you don't do that by leaving huge spaces for quality number 10s. Uh, one of the things that's going to be mentioned a lot and has been mentioned a lot is Stephen Kenny's words a few months ago at this stage when he spoke about the Nations League and I guess after a couple of good results in the last campaign he said we can go out and try and win our division in in League B in the Nations League. As a player, Karen, is that something you would have wanted to hear at that point or do you think it would have heaped undue pressure on you as a player? No, I think that given the the kind of shift in momentum um, and you look at a group, you think, okay, we can definitely frustrate the likes of Ukraine and Scotland and possibly nick a home win. But as soon as you lose to Armenia, they probably didn't focus on Armenia because they thought that that was a given. As soon as that happens, it's almost like we've reverted back 12 months back to that COVID period where we couldn't buy a win. Um, and it took so long to build momentum for them to allow that to happen. I think the players have to take a lot of responsibility for that. There's no way that any team that we put out against Armenia should have lost. They should have brought more energy. They should have um, been able to deal with any threats that Armenia threw our way. Um, just because they played five at the back should have meant that we would have had more space in midfield. Maybe we could have thrown on more creative players, maybe the likes of Heron to pick a pass or something like that but you you as a player should back yourself against Armenia so um, I, I have no problem with Stephen Kenny saying that um, at the time given the momentum that we did have I think we know it's unrealistic now and I think he, I don't think he would go near saying a, a comment like that now given the position that we're in um, but the players do need to to take a good look inward as well as everything the players are coming under criticism we're, I've heard people say this is the worst bunch of players we've had in a long time and um, that's possibly true true but there are some still some very good players in there and there's some experienced players who should be able to rally the troops now but the body language coming off the pitch against Ukraine didn't exactly inspire me the likes of Duffy look very very down about it and um, so I think you just need to get players on the pitch now against Scotland who can bring as much energy as possible, be that the likes of McLean and he has to change things up a little bit rather than blooding in these new players. Maybe it is just a back-to-basics job against Scotland. 
is that the only way to tackle that confidence bit, Karen? Like to sort of refresh things a little bit? Because I presume they'll go back into camp and they'll, uh, you know, the next morning they're trying to almost forget as much as they can about what went and, and try to change the narrative and try to build up the confidence bit before the game. Um, is it just freshening up the personnel? Is that the best way to do all of that? Yeah, I think freshen up the personnel and even if you have to sacrifice a few of your beliefs in terms of how you play, the fans don't can't look at another loss um, after the last two games. So it's doing everything within your power not to lose this game against Scotland. That would be my opinion anyway. Mm. Um, I wouldn't have cared if the game wasn't a good game against Armenia as long as we won, just to set the confidence levels up and set ourselves up. And again, keep that momentum going. Um, but it's, I feel like we're really gone back about four or five steps with this past week. So, um, yeah, if it's change of formation, if it's change of personnel, it's doing whatever you can to get a result. And a result to us now, unfortunately, is a draw. So. Yeah, and it, like it's it's hard to see because the concession of a goal, like you're going to concede. I don't even still know. I watched. I'm saying earlier, and I watched the goal back from the Ukraine game about twenty times. I still am unsure how the hell the ball went into the back of the net, and I can't. Damien Delaney was talking about it at Virgin last night, and he was putting a bit of blame on Hendrick, saying Kelleher deserved no blame at all. I I can't fathom it at all. I just don't even understand how the hell the ball went into the back of the net, right? But the thing is, we're going to concede a goal or two at international level anyway. It's just at the other end, we just look so devoid of any creativity or any like the Armenia game I think we could have been playing for another four or five hours and we would never have created one clean cut chance like so whatever about the concession at the back and like there'll be tweaks there and there'll be things we can do right it's that other bit that looks to be the most major concern with no obvious solution like maybe the change of formation Karen changes all that uh, who knows and and the other aspect of it is you mentioned about Stephen Kenny and the comments and that sort of stuff like he's obviously to be very critical of him, coming out after the games, it, there's almost an Arsene Wenger element of his comments post-game in the deniability, the, how he's denying almost what's going on in the pitch. Is there is there an element of that that, you know, you talk about the fans, when they're looking at that, are they, does he need to engage a little bit more in the reality and what's going on the pitch in his post-match interviews? Possibly, but he doesn't seem like someone who's ever going to come out and criticise any one line of the team. Um, because he's the one who's put them out and he's, that's only going to add to his scrutiny and the scrutiny of the team. And they, they look fragile, particularly when um, Seamus Coleman isn't there. Like you look to the pitch and you're wondering where the leaders are, particularly once you go out of the back line. I mean, mm. yes, there's a lot of young players, but there's people who you, you see demanding things from each other. It looked quiet, you know, um, there was a few, few finger pointing things at the start of the match from the back saying, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? But in terms of talking to each other and movement up front, I was just watching it from kind of a high angle and it, it didn't look like they were engaging well with each other. So, yeah, I think that there's definitely a lack of, of leadership and maybe that just comes from lack of belief or I'm not I'm not quite sure what it is. Um, but, yeah, he does need to be... I think he is realistic afterwards, but he's never going to say what the journalists and stuff are saying about this being one of the worst bunch of players because he's the one picking them. Mm. Um, but this is the position he's in. So uh, he has to, to find a way to do better with what he has. Um, yeah, I would be going back probably just one one to two players up front. Um, 
and, and seeing what we can do there um, getting the ball out wide I thought that the fullbacks were poor we haven't seen an overlap in I don't know how long because of the way we're playing um, because I don't think the three up front really know how to play that formation so again there's a lot of scrutiny on the coaching scrutiny on the type of players we have and, and if this is the correct formation for them Do you now think Ireland are going in the, the wrong direction Karen? It's been so long since we've had a real cause for optimism that it's it's hard to say if we're going backwards. Um, the the group of players that we have we're not seeing week in week out, you know. So the same connection with the fans isn't there. All we see is is what we get when we look at the the international games, and we do see them working hard, and we have had a good run of results or good performances at least um, in the last six months. So oh, I don't know, it's, it's a really, it's a hard one to put your finger on, but it, it's it's getting hard to remit, to remain almost interested um, in this Nations League already. And you're looking towards the future and you're, you're wondering where it's coming from. I probably would have preferred to watch the under 21 games this week than what we've seen from the seniors. Yeah, it's an indictment. And I know that obviously the match-going fans will get back into it when they uh, head along for the Scotland game at the weekend and there's a different tone about the people who turn up at the games and the people who are uh, chirping from the sidelines. But um, even the most optimistic who'll be at the game on, on uh, uh, tomorrow will be hoping for a brighter start and that we can actually get something done and uh, turn the narrative here a bit. Karen, thanks, William. Catch up with you again. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Karen Duggan there, host of the Koi Gig uh, podcast. And uh, we'll have much more chat, obviously, about that game. Uh, in the lead into it tomorrow and uh, hopefully that uh, everything can turn a little bit for us and we get back in an even keel right it is uh, 10 past 8 you're watching OTPAM on this uh, Friday morning during the ad break you're going to hear a clip from the latest episode of the football pod where an angry and befuddled Paddy and James complained to Tommy about the more soulless games at Croke Park the football pod in partnership with AIB who are proud sponsors of the GEA Senior Football Championship you can check out hashtag the toughest for more on that and speaking of the GEA we're going to be back live in studio the former Meath manager Andy McEntee freshman Ending a six-year tenure, we'll see you after these. OTB AM. All right, it is uh, quarter past eight. You're watching OTB AM on this Friday morning. Owen and myself, and we're delighted to say that we're joined in the studio now by the uh, now former Meath manager Andy McIntyre. Good morning, to you, Andy. Morning, lads. Yeah. Still feel a bit weird, the former Meath manager. Yeah, that's the first time I've heard it. Really, you know, yeah, I've read it often enough, but mm. that's the first time I've heard it. So yeah, ah, yeah, look at it. I mean, it is what it is. You get attached to the role, obviously, over six years and the intensity of it, almost. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you you get yeah, look at. I mean, the the title itself it doesn't doesn't mean a whole pile, but I mean, it's it's uh, you know it it uh, it takes over your life, I suppose, for for six years, and before you know it, six years are over. So I mean, it seems like a relatively short time, but but it's been uh, it's been eventful enough, I'm sure. What were the main emotions during the week when you since you've announced it? Ah, I mean, you know, to be perfectly honest, I think you know this was this was my second term. It was the third third year of of my second term, so it was it was a natural ending, really. I think, I think most uh, most managerial stints have a have a natural ending, and it probably was it was it was it was coming to that, really. Did you kind of know that this year, or did you think if we could put a bit of a run together here, we could reinvigorate this thing, or had you it in your head that it probably would be the last year anyway? I, well, I didn't, you know, I hadn't put much, much thought into it. I mean, I think, I think the probably the episode before Christmas, you know, probably made that a little bit evident mm. that, that that this was going to be uh, probably the last, 
And I think that that had an impact. Unfortunately, I think that had an impact probably on everybody. Mm. Including the players. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, I think it, it came out of the blue. Really, you know, we weren't. You know, we were due to have another year there. It didn't. Uh, we weren't expecting it. I don't think the players expected it. I think it undermined a little bit of confidence in 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 the players themselves and in the players' confidence in us. And it, it just it just didn't help. It didn't help. It, it, it feels like a bit of a time since that actually happened. Like so, from your own perspective, like what happened? Well, there was, there was, uh, I suppose, there was a, a small group of of uh, people within the Mead County Board who felt uh, it was it was time for change. And uh, unfortunately, I think, you know, uh, they went about it the wrong way. I think a lot of people, maybe I'm not sure sure what their agenda was or what their you know their best intentions were. And unfortunately, I you know, I don't feel uh, it was in the best interest of Mead football. But you look at you know that's. I don't, I don't want to really dwell too much on it, apart from the fact to say that it certainly didn't help the situation. 2021 was that like um, weird COVID-dictated league. Obviously, everything was sort of out of kilter, wasn't it, in terms of the usual expectations of what you might have of a typical season. But just to refresh people, so the, the Division 2 North, uh, you'd wins over Westmeath and down, you go on to lose to Mayo, and then by a goal to Kildare in the semis. And Leinster goes all right, like pretty good. Good win over Longford, lose by 1-3 to Dublin. Absolutely no shame in that. That's plenty of teams um, would would bite your hand off for that. And that the fight back, particularly in the second half. That, I'm just trying to create the context in the in the lead into all of that, just to remind people where where that was at. Uh, and also, by the way, like maybe as good a test as Dublin had had in the previous ten years. Um, and that was it because of the reduced format. That was that was the end of the year. There was no more uh, backdoor aspect to it. And that was July the 18th. What happened then between that and? The first, was it the first week of October when the county board stuff came out? Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, nothing that I was aware of. I mean, I got. I remember I got a phone call from a brother of mine just to ask me, did, did, was I actually ratified? And I, I was under the assumption that I had been. Mm-hmm. And uh, I spoke I spoke to someone at the county board and they said, well, you know, it's, it's happening this this week. Uh, it's only a matter of... Uh, it's only a matter of, of, of form... And uh, there was something going on in the background, obviously. And, uh, uh, you know, the county board, I think, a lot of the guys there were caught unawares. So. You were, were you two years into a three, uh, your second three-year term? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And typically, that's what would happen. You'd get to the end of the year, they'd say, we just have to have this meeting, we'll ratify it there, and then on we go. Yeah, you have your review, you have your annual review. I had that, mm. you know, we, we spoke. I mean, as, soon, as far as I was concerned... That was that was done deal. Let's let's get ready for for and we were in the middle of preparing, you know, for uh, for the year ahead. Had they had carried out a review into twenty twenty one. Was that an exceptional review or was that just the usual? Yeah, it was it was standard enough. You know, we would have had a review every year. So I mean, standard enough. What does that involve? Is it like do you sit down with them? Like do you, do you sit down with them and set? I'm not I'm not familiar with the GA management piece. Obviously, when you're Football man- soccer manager or rugby, they obviously stand. They go right here. The targets for the year, and we either meet them or we don't, and we decide where we go. Is it the same sort of thing, or how do you? Yeah, look at I mean, standard enough. You sit down. You know where, where you know where where do you feel? You know we could be doing better. Mm. You know how how did you know we got through various aspects of, of of management? You know how 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 did that go for you? How can we improve things? What are your targets for next year? Uh, where did we fall down last year? 
usual. Are they are they they're not, are, are they setting out like here's the expectation, here's what success looks like this this year, or is it as detailed as that from their no, side? No, not 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 necessarily. No, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it, it was very clear. Everybody had 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 their targets. We have, we've had our targets all along, and that was you know to be as competitive as possible, and you know hopefully uh, come out of Leinster, and that's that's been that's been our target from the world go. So that hadn't changed. Did you get a sense during that review that? That there was kind of choppy waters coming in a few months' time. No, absolutely not. No, no. Why? Like um, almost reassurance by the sounds of things. That well, I mean, it's certainly you know it, it, we went through that, and I had spoken with with the German on numerous occasions, mm. and uh, the first I had heard of it was that phone call that I got, and uh, the first he had heard of it was uh, the phone call I made to him. So uh, it there was, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I don't. I don't. Is this this is probably going on long enough now? That no, yeah. Look, look, we we can absolutely move on, and there's yeah. a lot of stuff to talk about. I just, I yeah. do think that like it does speak to the uh, behaviours of a lot of county boards. I don't think Meath is necessarily that unique in that way. And like, there's a bigger question about how well served county teams are by sports, the the administration of the of the county team. And I suppose that's probably the reason that it's interesting to us to. Sure. Uh, yeah, I get that. I, I mean, look, I, I would have to say that, look, you know, I've been very well supported by by the number of, of, of county chairmen that I've worked under, yeah. you know, from Conor Tormey to Peter O'Halloran, John Kavanagh. I think they were, you know, they were caught on a little bit unawares. And I'd be suspicious of some of the, the motives behind some of the people. I mean, that's that's, you know, that 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 brought this about. I mean, I don't. I definitely wouldn't feel that it was in the best interests of of Meath football, and the clubs didn't feel that obviously either. No, no, and and you know that was you know the clubs were, you know, pretty much it was a pretty you know, you know pretty good uh, vote of confidence from the clubs. Did you come close to just saying I'm out? Very close at that time. Very close, yeah. And we would have you know we we as, as a management team and as a backroom team we got together and. I suppose one of the one of the key issues at the time was the timing of all of this. Yeah, it, it, late uh, in the year. It was late in the year. Uh, had we decided to to uh, say, okay, well, you know, we haven't got the the backing of the county board. It, it's time for us to move on. It would have left the players in a in a pretty poor position, mm. and that was that was a big enough, uh, I suppose, factor in in in, a, in us deciding to stay on. What's interesting around that, and I guess this kind of goes for for all these sorts of stories, is that there's almost a vacuum of information sometimes, and I'd imagine that in that vacuum comes all sorts of talk here and there, and this prevails all the way through this year, where I guess conversations are happening around your own position in the public, online, all that sort of stuff. Did you ever feel those external conversations happening, or, or feel like there was a cloud over the whole thing coming into this year then? I think that probably was, yeah. I think that was, you know, that that had a big influence on on a lot of the talk around, a lot of the narrative around it. It, it didn't, it certainly didn't help. And as I say, you know, our only concern really was the players, mm. uh, and players being human, uh, they would have got a, a sniff that this is probably, you know, my last year, and that changes things. You know, Does you, it, you, yeah. you, you see it, in, yeah, and. and, and they don't mean. I don't think players mean anything by it. I, I think it's just human nature. You, you see it in other sports. When when they know a manager is moving on, things change, and uh, it's it's hard. It's hard to get over that. And you know, as a management team, I'd have to say we weren't able to manage that properly to to kind of. 
get everyone to ignore the, the narrative that was going on around. Would you change anything if you had your time back knowing what you now know? Oh, look at I mean, if my aunt had, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think if, if that whole episode had happened earlier, I'd say our decision might have been different to, to, to stay with it. Uh, As you in you, you would have gone... That, uh, it's a possi- I'd yeah. say that's a possibility. Yeah. 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 Do you, do you, when you're talking about the group, and we will move on, there's other stuff to talk about. But <laughs> it is like it is interesting to us. But the when you talk about the group and how hard it is to get them, you know, like the Ralph Ragnick stuff, obviously has been going on in Man United over the last one. There's plenty of other examples. Yeah. Is it hard? Do you just address that openly and go, "Listen, we all know where we are. We're going to give it a push for the year, and on we go." Or is it is it almost counterproductive to address it in that way? Because at that point, you're like. They are absolutely going to check out if they know for sure that this is the last year. How do you how do you tackle that? Yeah, look at I mean, we're, yeah, they've, these guys have been a great group to work with. Really, yeah. they have uh, very open. We've been very open about everything everything that's going on. So nobody was hiding behind anything here. Uh, we all knew, and I'm not I'm not saying this. You know, the truth of the matter is, we didn't come up with the performances this year. And I'm not saying that's the only reason. I say it was a factor. Mm. There was a number of other factors really involved. Uh, and uh, we didn't. We certainly, you know, everybody was aware. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, Do you go into the dressing room after the Clare game, or how do you? I think was was it Monday you, you announced that you were leaving. Do you go into the dressing room afterwards and tell them, listen, it's been great, and I'm out of here, or how did you? Uh, how did you tackle that one? Well, they. they uh, I didn't. I didn't want. I mean, it was. It was an emotional enough dressing room. To be perfectly honest, afterwards. You know, I've, I've, I've battled. I've, with, you know, there's a good few guys in there that I was with in the minor scene since uh, since 2012. Mm. So you know, it's it's you get you get very close to a lot of these guys. It uh, it wasn't. I didn't think it was the place to to uh, to say it. Mm. Uh, I, I I said nothing. We went back to the hotel, and I suppose unfortunately, you know, there was there was a few people around that I didn't really want to be talking in front of the, to the group in front of. So I left it. Then I, I mentioned it to, to the guys on the bus on the way home. Yeah. You, anybody you speak to about your um, tenure there was much more about just it wasn't just about managing uh, a Gaelic football team that you were much more invested in the player the individual the progress off the pitch as much as anything else almost is that fair enough? Yeah I think that's fair I think we've we, we've tried to uh, look after the players as much as we possibly can and you know it's great to see guys progressing as 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 people and as as men, as opposed to just footballers. So, and I think, I think we've done a pretty good job on that. I mean, one of one of the things that I'd be happiest with really are the, are the people that I've surrounded the team with. You know, from you know from uh, medical team to uh, training staff to uh, mind coaches, stuff like that, mm-hmm. uh, professional coaches, uh, football coaches. Uh, you know, Colm Nally, uh, all the guys that. The selectors that have worked with me, I've been, I'd be, I'd be very happy with my choice of, uh, of of the team around the team. Has it surprised you? Did it surprise you the level of work that had to go into it? Not really. No, no. I mean, it, it yeah, it is. It, you know, I, I, the truth of the matter is, I, I think the uh, <laughs> the nature of the beast you're talking about here. I mean, I, I just. It it's all encompassing. It takes it takes over. I mean, there's somebody asked me, would, would you go through a day without without thinking about football? I said, definitely not. Would you go through an hour? 
I don't think so. Right. You'd be upset. Like, is, is that about... That's about every part of it, is it? It's not just about how do we get the tactics right. It's like... Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's so much There's so much involved. I mean, there's a lot... I mean, guys are trying to juggle an awful lot of things. College, work, relationships. Mm. You know, you're, there's, there's an awful lot of things that you're, you're, you're trying to deal with. Are you a tactician or are you a man-manager? Uh, I'd like to think a little bit of both, but I suppose, I mean, I, I would think uh, my relationship with players is probably the uh, I would like to think yeah. they might say different <laughs> <laughs> what, what does that look like is it giving them a buzz in the middle of the week to see how they're getting on is it catching them after training or, or how close would you be to those players oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a combination of all of that really yeah. you know it, it's meeting fellas for meeting fellas for coffee every now and again a lot of phone calls uh, a lot of one-on-ones uh, smaller groups uh, you know trying to help fellas with Trying to help fellas with with college life, with with uh, with interviews, with you know bits and pieces. So, at what point did you feel that the group was in the palm of your hand the most? Would it be fair to say like the summer of twenty nineteen or maybe twenty twenty? I guess maybe that last Super Eight summer when when Meath were in it. Is is that when things were going best for you? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think qualifying for the Super Eights was was great. The the that league before when we when we went from Division Two up to Division One there was some there were some really good performances. Uh, not that we didn't win them all. Uh, we 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 lost a very close one to Donegal up in Bally Buffet at the start of the year uh, on a, a very frosty night, and we conceded a late goal to lose by a point. I think it was, uh, and then we kind of responded really well. We had we had a great win against Kildare and Navan. A last minute penalty. Barry Dara scored a last minute penalty, and that's when when it really started to to build. I think really, uh, and that that building that progress. How hard is it? I guess given the geography of Meath and like being blunt about it, given the fact that yourselves in Kildare, regardless of how much progress you guys make during the league, beating Dublin or coming up against Dublin is something that you guys will have to do pretty much every year if you're going to be one of the best teams in Leinster and how much of a possibility is that game there to, to give you just a bit of a, a knockback every single year? Yeah, look, I mean, you're coming up against, you know, what was what was the best team in, in, in the history of the GAA or the most successful team in, in, in football history. So coming up against that every year is, is, is a setback and I suppose the last two years, you know, when you get beaten and there's nothing else after that, it means you're away from the lads for another six months or five months or whatever it is uh, and that's that's a challenge you know when you're, when you're trying to close a gap on someone like Dublin who are going longer together every year consistently every year it, it, uh, it's, a, it's a big challenge and it feels as if the challenge almost gets greater year after year the more games they win the harder it is for you to knock them off their perch was that the feeling this year that maybe we're as far away as we've ever been from Dublin? Yeah, this year was 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 disappointing, but I, I suppose you know the 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 form line going into it was was suggesting we didn't really play well this year. Apart from apart from we had a good performance against Cork in the league, uh, we had a good performance against Derry in the league, uh, and outside of that, we've got a few results, but we we kind of scraped through a little bit. Uh, Wicklow was okay, but but probably only okay. So going into the Dublin game. Uh, I suppose the, the narrative going around was that Dublin were on the slide and stuff like that, which I, I never really bought on in the first place. But uh, ultimately, we, you know, we didn't play well enough. We weren't good enough, and that was that was hard to get over. 
it's really easy for us to sit here and say that you know people need to believe that they can beat Dublin in order to believe, to beat Dublin. But as somebody who's actually managed against them and played them most years in your tenure, does that belief take a bit of a hit after a period of time? It, it, it does if if you have performances. I mean, you, you don't have to be off by much, you know, against Dublin. If if you have an off day, you're going to get punished and punished severely. Uh, like we had, a, we had a really good performance in the in in the league in Parnell Park against them, with with you know with a a, a lot of newcomers on the on, on the team and it and it gave everybody a huge boost to performance. But then we turn around in the in the championship and it's a different you know playing in Croke Park is 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 just a different mm. it's a different experience it's a different game the pace of the game is is totally different so. Uh, when you come up against them and as if you're not fully at it, uh, you're going to get punished very badly. You were with the the Longford manager on last week, and he was talking about um, the order of preference of competitions. He was like, the league is number one, Talton Cup for them. After that, it's almost felt like he was saying sort of the O'Byrne Cup was nearly ahead of the Leinster Championship in terms of relevance for them because Leinster was just uh, um, not a factor for them. You're at a different level to Longford, but what's your thoughts on that same point is Leinster fit for purpose should we scrap all of that and start afresh what do you think uh, well I don't think it's just Leinster's not fit for no. purpose I don't think I think the provincial system is broken uh, I mean you look at the amount of games that that uh, even just purely the amount of games that's played in Leinster uh, uh, Ulster compare that to Connacht and and, and, uh, and Munster it just doesn't make sense mm. you know it, it, you know if you, if you brought an outsider in, and you said, "Well, there's 32 counties. All right, you know, London, New York, you include them, but uh, 32 counties, and and there's four groups, and there's you know there's five and one, and there's eleven and the other, and the win, you know, the reward for winning one is the same as the reward for winning the other. It just doesn't make sense. Mm. Uh, there's there's, I've always been of the opinion there's there's a natural enough. Uh, system there, you take divisions one and two, and you make groups of that. Everybody gets the get their games, and you have a senior and you have an intermediate, uh. and everybody just signs up to that. Did um sat down to? I presume he sat down as a group at the start of the year and said, "This is our targets for the year." And I mean the management and the players specifically. Oh yeah, I mean we'd we'd, we'd have certain targets. I mean, and, and the targets have always been, you know, would win and answer be one. Sure, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And 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 discussed as a because like you said yourself, Dublin probably the greatest team of all time. Yeah. You know, in the in the middle of that, when you're sitting down having that conversation, you're it's, it's a genuine we want to win Leinster. That's was it number one target. Was it? Yeah. Well, the, the first number of years, uh, the first thing, the thing that we really concentrated on was getting into Division One. Right. Uh, and uh, then you know you take it from there. But I think the last last two years. We we would I think it's fair to say that we would have said okay Division Two is is fine you know right. I mean it, it's very competitive you get great games uh, we knew what it was like to be in Division One and unless you're again a bit like a bit like the Dublin thing unless you're right at it from the word go in Division One you know you you just get used to losing and we we had a year there where we had we had some great games but we, we ultimately we ultimately lost everyone bar one the the last one against Monaghan. Mm-hmm. Great occasions, uh, great competition, but we weren't strong enough to uh, to finish out games. Those last ten, fifteen minutes, 
strength and depth wasn't what other counties had and uh, we ended up losing a lot of games in those last 10 or 15 minutes uh, so being in the, my attitude certainly changed from being in Division 1 wasn't really it wasn't all you're, what you're better we off winning a few games in Division 2 oh, I think so right. yeah because you know winning's a habit but so is losing yeah. so you know even, even the like exposure to the better teams and how that bring you on as a group ultimately if you're getting beaten then it's a bit of a waste of time I wouldn't say it's a waste of time I mean you, you get your eyes open as to as to where you need to be at mm. but I mean you get you get every bit as competitive games you know for us at the stage of development that we were at you get every bit as competitive games in, in Division 2 when did the abuse start? Shane, as I've been tweeting about it during the week, and it's even I see in the back page of the paper today, Meath hit out at abuse of McEntee and squad, and the county board did a statement out about it yesterday. Yeah, I look, at, I, I'm not, I'm not a social media man. Uh, that's been there from 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 the off. Has it? It, it has. Social media side. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, the likes of these people who get involved in social media are looking for a platform, are looking for a bit of airtime, and I suggest. We don't waste airtime talking about them. One question I do want to ask, we just put Shane's tweet up. He said, because Emma Fitzmaurice had written about it a few years ago, about letters he used to get to the house. Was, did you get letters? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what was the nature of them? Well, they weren't, they weren't very nice. You know, they were, you know, and, you know, the people that send the letters don't even have the, don't even have the balls to write their name to it. Anonymous. Yeah. Always. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When was the first one that you got? Oh, I think it was probably in year one. Right. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. Would you stop opening them after a while or are you... No, you get to know the writing, you get to know the handwriting. The same people, sort of, is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What yeah. sort of stuff are they saying? Ah, I mean, you know, you know, uh, the first one started with, you know, Bally Bowden was a fluke. I don't know how you managed that. And and a lot of it referred to, you know, uh, you know Shane picking, picking mm. Shane being part of the team. Which is totally unfair, you know, uh, and it's a it's a way of a way of getting at me more than more than Shane, I'm sure. But uh, was it stuff that you needed to go to the guards about, or I don't think so. No, no. Again, as I say, you you look at you look at, uh, and I I don't I don't look at too many tweets, or you know, mm. uh, you look at what's been written, how it's been written, and you kind of say, well, who's writing this? And, yeah, you know. How much? How much weight are you going to put uh, in in somebody's opinion like that? And I suppose that's that's the thing that I never really get about about social media. I mean, you have you have people who are, are looking for a little bit of attention, and uh, probably never been asked for their opinion before, and all of a sudden they have a platform. Mm. So, hence my reluctance really to give them that platform. I, I think maybe um, Emma Fitzmaurice as well would have made a point at the time that there was maybe abuse directed at a player as well at that point. It, it was only ever you in that, in that meet setup who received letters, was it? There was there was nobody else in the setup or, or anybody else with a, with a Not concern. that I'm aware of. Yeah. Not that I'm aware of. No. When you're recognising the handwriting, so you see it in the envelope, are you, is, did you get to a point where you're just like... Been or are you? Well, you certainly want to get to it before. Uh, want to get to it before my wife gets to it. Yeah. You know. You know, and that, and that. I mean, I can, I can deal with it like that. But when it starts impacting on 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 your family, it's it's kind of hard to take. Was it abusive or was it threatening or both? Uh, abusive, more than threatening. Right. Yeah. It does have an impact on the family and on you, no matter how much you try to shut it out, doesn't it? When it's literally landing in your letterbox. Sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. It it ah, you know, you'd, I'd be genuinely more concerned about you know uh, Shane is Shane is the guys out there. Mm. He he's the guy. Uh, so uh, more concerned about the people mm. around me than you know. Ultimately, I've put them in this situation, you know. Mm. There's also kind of like a, a pressure on that as well, Andy, to kind of be the stoic figure, to be the manager, to be the fellow who almost says, I can brush this off. But I'd imagine as well, it's just, they're just not nice things to read. They're, they're, you, you don't want to be receiving them at the same time as much as you have to feel I'm the manager and I'm I'm kind of the, the, the elder statesman of this dressing room almost with those young lads in the dressing room that I'd say you, you can kind of quickly brush that sort of stuff off without considering what it's actually doing to you and how you feel about it as well. Yeah, well, I think it's probably safest to brush it, brush it off if you stop and think about it too much. No, nobody yeah. likes to read, uh, you know, uh, abusive things being said about them. Uh, so, uh, one of the reasons I would have stopped, you know, looking at any sort of social media, I don't, I don't, I don't go on there, and, and it, uh, it's safer for me. <laughs> mm. You know, you're protect- I'm protecting myself as much as anything else there on that one. Yeah. Do you think that the expectations of uh, the public towards a team were in line with, with what they should be? Do you think they have realistic expectations to meet fans? Oh, well, I, I, it's something, and I probably uh, I didn't I didn't mention it in my statement last week. The vast majority of meet fans are fantastic fans. Mm. We have some great supporters, and where I I talk about uh, you like this, I talk about getting letters, you know, abusive letters. There's a, there's a man called Harry Smith from he lives in Cullen. And I think he's lived there for the last... Me, the man, living in Cullen for the last 50 years. And I get a letter for him from him before every game and after every game. Uh, talking about the game, uh, I'm not so sure what age Harry is, but he's a good age. Yeah. But if we were playing down in the morning, he'd have a report on Down's last match from the local <laughs> no paper. Way. He'd no. send it on to me. Uh, it's fantastic. Fantastic. And you come down, oh, there's another letter from Harry. Yeah. Uh, another lady, Anne Farley, from uh, me, the woman living in Tullamore. She'd s- constantly send letters, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Good good support network there, despite the... Fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, kids, you know, people bringing their kids along, uh, genuine Mead supporters. Mm. And your genuine Mead supporter, I've always said it to the lads, will forgive anything, provided you give a certain type of uh, performance. And yeah. that's... That's what they appreciate. You'll miss that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. I mean, that that day, that game I spoke about against against Kildare in in, in the league uh, in it must have been nineteen. I think it was two thousand nineteen. The coldest day I've ever been on a on a, on a pitch. Uh, the rain and sleet and snow was coming inside. It was a gale force wind, and the Mead people were just bananas at the end of it. Mm. So, yeah. Would you go back into an intercounty job? No. Never, it's done now. No, who who else would I manage, like, mm. you know? And in terms of the kind of the life of an inter-county manager, uh, is, that, is, is that something that you're kind of like, God, thankfully that's over in one way and it doesn't really appeal to you again in the future? Ah, no, look, I, w- I wouldn't say that. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's been a great experience. I got to work with some really, really good people, uh, really, really good players. I mean... Some of the we've we've had we have some excellent players and a lot of really good player, young players coming through, so uh, you know it, it has been a good experience. I'll miss it. I mean, you you get you get hooked on the likes of this, so you, you will miss it. Mm. But 
it's been I suppose I've I've gone from from playing to <laughs> a decent age. I played up until I was forty two uh, uh, with with the club in Dunboyne, senior with the club in Dunboyne, and I went straight into into management from then. So that's been sixteen years now. So I guess my wife probably deserves a break <laughs> at this stage. I don't be careful what you ask. Well, well I mean, you know, you look at Mickey Hart up the road and yeah, plenty of yeah, others. Yeah. You would, are you, are you, it's me, they're both for you. Is that what you're saying? That you wouldn't have the same graph if you were in another county? Or? Oh, I couldn't. Uh, uh, well, I couldn't see it, no. You might go back into a club at some point or another? Or? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, look, I mean, it's, it's, it's early. It's yeah. very early, in fairness, yeah. It is early, yeah, and I have, I have, I have a few things that I need to, I need to, probably need to do a bit of work for a change. <laughs> guys in Focus Capital would say he, he could do with doing a bit of work, probably. You need that leeway, and a holiday, of course, as well, I'm sure, at some point. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do a holiday. We're heading to, uh, we're heading to uh, Portugal uh, end of August for, for a friend's wedding, so we're going to make, we're going to make uh, the most of that. Yeah, well, look, you've been really good with your time this morning. It was good to get that insight. I know sometimes it's not easy necessarily to talk about that thing, particularly when you've been in the middle of it, and you'd rather shut that chapter, I'm, I'm sure, and and uh, and move on. But I do think that it's important in the context, as I said, of sports administration on the one side and how we're served by it in this country, and also in terms of the abuse. I'm sure there's plenty of managers up and down the country listening to what you've had to say this morning and taking something from it. So we appreciate that. No, you're very welcome. Yeah. Thanks, many for coming Thanks. in. Thanks for bringing me in, Les. Quarter to nine, Friday morning. We've loads still to come. Alan Quinlan and Ronan Agar are going to get stuck into all the weekend's uh, rugby. Interesting times uh, at La Rochelle, of course, so we'll get into all that. And uh, Damien Brown and Fergus Farrell will be live on the line at, I believe, about four o'clock New York time as they set get ready to set sail for Galway, or to row to Galway, more accurately, uh, which will take them the best part of 55 days or more. Uh, right, before all of that, John Giles was on with Nathan on the show last night and reflected on Ireland's performance against Ukraine. Back after these. It's hard to think of a time when Irish football has found itself at a, a lower ebb in terms of quality and depth. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think I think this is uh, unfortunately. I hate to say it, it, it Stephen has the the um, the, the least uh, gifted group of players than I can remember, mm. Nathan. And that's gone back a long time, and in my time and before. Uh, you know, we 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 had a lot of first division players. What we consider first division players in those days, uh, that we don't. I don't see that ability now. Although I, I would expect us to do better in the last two matches than we've done. You've been around Irish football long enough. You know how these things work. That when you have a couple of bad results, the pressure comes on quickly. Yeah. With all you've been saying in mind, like do you? Do you look at Ireland and think a, a different manager could do any better, or that actually do you look at it and think Stephen Kenny is is getting as much as anybody can get out of these players? Yeah, I, I, I would say so. I I, I don't see uh, a great group of players that have been mismanaged, mm. Nathan. Let's put it that way. I think uh, I I I think the last two results have been very 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 bad uh, for Stephen, and I, I'm sure he surprised himself because before again I keep repeating myself here before the breakup. You know, the matches we won, we won well and look really good, uh, Nathan. So hopefully this is just a week. Like with the players we have, there's, there's, there's one discussion there. I think it's the weakest group of players we've, I've seen for a long, long time with the Irish team. But they, they, those group of players have played better before the break. And hopefully they can, they can play better again. 
than they did in these particular two matches. Because I fancied them, certainly if, if I'd known beforehand that uh, the Ukraine would feel the team that they did, I would say, well, I fancy us to win that. Mm. And certainly in the first match, the Armenian, that. And it hasn't happened. So hopefully it's just uh, uh, for these particular two matches and, and uh, the players and Stephen to pick it up again. That's, that's all I hope for. But it is another job to do now. Yeah, you can check out the full piece with John up on the uh, OTP Sports app uh, right now or indeed on our YouTube page. Uh, plenty of uh, comments coming in this morning. Uh, Dara Howley on Twitter after our uh, chat with Andy there. Most people who feel they need to write abusive letters to managers are usually um, very inadequate and low in self-success uh, within their own life. Um, echo that all day long. Uh, James McCullough I was initially sceptical of Kenny especially after the Slovakia defeat however I'm firmly behind him now as he's offered us something different and has a good a young good young bunch of players uh, that's interesting like that's interesting um, that, that's Odd still the, the, timing the possibility of, of it at yeah. this uh, time like that definitely that seemed to be the case this time last week but it's literally this time last week is it possible for things to go from what I would have said is a very very reasonable thing to say in the space of a week for that to seem like an eyebrow raising comment maybe we're just completely in a state of frantic emotion and we just don't uh, trust this team or anything about it that that we're allowing ourselves to be so uh, up and down in terms of how how we're kind of feeling about this team and and how we're talking about this team it's the nature of international football to a degree as well because they obviously have this cluster of games and then it's done for a while and that's all you have to go on and if it's stank the house out which it's done then that hangs around for a while and I am a little bit surprised to see the optimism like I said with Karen when she was on here last Friday that was how we started the conversation there's a there's a hang of optimism in the air what are we thinking but it is but that's gone like I mean even the most reasonable fans now are you know where it's more hope than anything else isn't it against Scotland like the the evidence of what, what, what should play, happen what if Ireland play well and get a draw tomorrow what, what does that steadies the ship and I, I think it's the ship. It, Do you mean steady the ship so it's like we're back on track again? Or I think like, that it, it removes some of this stuff, doesn't it? How do we get into shot? So w- one draw against Scotland in the Nations League will mean that Stephen Kenny has gone from job on the line to job not on the line. Um, I don't know if it's as black and white as that. There's obviously a scale that's how of it feels. Is my point? It feels like it's very black and white. The at scale the of over here, he's going to get sacked, and over here, he's there's we need to sign this yeah. man up for another twenty years, right? So you move along that scale depending on performances and results. How far along that scale are we at the minute? We're well over the halfway line here. You know, mm-hmm. like he's and he's veering more towards that. A draw against Scotland, unquestionably pulls it back a little bit more in the other direction. And we were... And that's, I, 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 yeah. as, as, fa- as sports fans, I think it's that, fair enough, no? I'm just saying we were well over the halfway line in the other direction a week ago. We were. A week, a long time in football. It was, but also the, the weight of pull in the other direction to continue that yeah, no, it has that. to be based on I the fact that. that we was Armenia and our Ukraine second. Seconds. Uh, Darrow O'Toole says maybe it's the expectations of the Irish team that needs to change. Probably also a reasonable point. And Fergus Kyo, good players and good teams are constantly moving to keep the opposition thinking. Poor players and poor teams stand in the same place waiting for the ball. Um, so there we go. Right. Uh, it is 10 to 9. As I said, uh, we've no live crappy quiz for you this morning. Owen is back, but he literally only tuned in this morning. So there's no live crappy quiz. We'll be back again with that next Friday morning. And we've um, Fergus Farrell and Damien Brown standing by as well to come to us live from New York. But before all of that, another uh, dynamic duo, Ronan Agara and Alan Quinlan. Good morning, lads. Morning. Morning, lads. How are you? All good. How are you doing? Rare that we have you on together. This is a, a surprise and a delight. 
Yeah, I texted Colm at 6.50 a.m. <laughs> I bit of scatterbrain this week, Adrian, so I wasn't organised, so I... Uh, Hope I'm not jumping in on Quinny's gig. Well, he he when when Cullum got in contact with him afterwards, he insisted that it wasn't going to happen, but eventually relented. <laughs> <laughs> I won't get a word, a word in edgeways. Uh, there's plenty to get to the the uh, Toulouse this weekend, Ronan, to begin with maybe is probably the best place to kick things off, and then uh, cast I think in the semi if you get there. Uh, the Leon game obviously last weekend was. Uh, exactly what you needed I suppose to continue this is that I almost feel I know we've chatted a little bit last year and this year about sort of cup final week after week are you still kind of in that mode now? Yeah absolutely because it's um, hopefully there's three games left uh, the Leon game was a little bit different I suppose in the fact that uh, the only way we wouldn't qualify if they scored a, a a bonus offensive or sorry a, a try winning bonus so in France the way it works is it's you score three more tries than the opposition so it's not four tries so you have to outscore your opposition by three tries so seven four five two three zero you get the five points so we couldn't let Leon do that because um, we were four points ahead of them in the table so a five nil they would have gone ahead of us um, so I you mean at the latter stages of the game, uh, it was comfortable. We were good, uh, but at halftime it was three tries to one to them. Um, we probably had a, a grounds for a legitimate try uh, disallowed just before halftime uh, off a driving mall. But going in at halftime at three one, it was not panic, but a little bit of, okay, this can fall apart if we're not careful, but we responded really well in the first 12 minutes of the second half, and uh, the end game then, I don't know, people probably saw a little bit of on Twitter, uh, was um, was hectic. Uh, um, the Leon probably have two try-scoring opportunities, and um, uh, most unfortunate circumstances for them, um, they didn't get over the line, but you know, a bonus point would have done a defeat would have done for us as well. Yeah, the gods are with you for sure. Is there, there hasn't been a um, hangover? It seems anyway from the Heineken Cup finals. It feels as if it's almost given you a bit of a wind in the sails. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, it was the turnaround was Saturday Sunday, so that extra day playing Sunday night made a big difference. I think it mean meant that we could really probably um, enjoy the the aftermath of Marseille so that was good I think we um, we had four days of partying which I think is very important that you, you, you do that and you, and you celebrate a big moment as it was but then the latter part of the week we parked it and we moved on and um, Leon were good um, obviously winning the Challenge Cup but I think talking to their guys and management afterwards it wasn't really I suppose celebrated or appreciated maybe as much did as they would have liked uh, so they were on for the game and you know what I mean they had a obviously uh, good grounds to go for um, a bonus point win against us but um, our 23 were good on the night four days of partying well that- Saturday Sunday Monday Tuesday yeah but it was it wasn't like mayhem it was just I suppose sitting down and having a lazy lunch and a, a good dinner a barbecue um you know, I think um, that's why we do it. 
I'm wondering what's behind that grin. There's a bit more than that. that I presume no, a few, few glasses are red. And compared to monster standards, it was tame. You know, it was very tame. But um, um, you know, you're trying to. It's not all about the field. You know, I think that's where you make the difference is, is in connecting off the pitch and enjoying people's company. And it's a very different club rugby in France. I think so. What you may perceive, but it's starting to get really, really enjoyable now. There seems to be a bit of a sense over here, Ronan, right, that like if the Heineken Cup final was played again next weekend, that Leinster would come out on top, rightly or wrongly. And I wanted to put Matt Williams was on with us during the week, and his comments probably summed it up better than most. Um, he said, i got to disagree with everyone. La Rochelle were absolutely rubbish until the 64th minute. I don't think it uh, was a great plan, as in La Rochelle's plan. I think Leinster stuffed up. And I wanted to put them to you not in any kind of an incendiary way other than you were on the line and uh, we were going to talk to Quinny about them anyway. Uh, and now seeing as you're here, we might as well get your reaction to it. What's your your view on that idea almost, if I could interpret it as to say that if it was to be played again, people are feeling that maybe Leinster will come out on top? Um, yeah, there's there's definitely good grounds for that. You know, they're such a quality team. Um that we were very aware that we had one shot and that's why cup finals are and that's why you have to get the mindset right that it's 80 minutes you know I think uh, these things aren't like the basketball where they're played over a seven game series and you win 4-3 you know this is uh, 80 minutes and it's the exact same as winning a world cup final you don't have to be the best team for four years you've got to be the best team for 80 minutes and a qualifying 80 minutes and a semi-final 80 minutes and a final and that's what to, how top level sport is decided and I think it is a different mindset I think um, you know it's interesting um, listening to that that La Rochelle were rubbish is it? Yeah I think, I think that's uh, until the 64th minute incredibly inaccurate but you know I, mean, I suppose um, that's how Matt gets on the radio I suppose that's what on TV that's he has to be controversial and that's his opinion you know but I would contest that and wouldn't uh, agree with that. I think uh, we were inaccurate some part times in, in, as I said, I think afterwards to you guys that you know I mean I think we did leave some scores out there, but the difference between not executing under immense pressure with a really good defence as opposed to being rubbish and our poles apart. So you know I think it's uh, a little bit of trash talk, but but that's okay. That's that's what people are entitled to do. Ultimately, the winning of a game in a cup final proves that it was a great plan anyway, right? Like, I mean, I know you can't plan for every single event- eventuality in a game. You've just mentioned about what happened, obviously, at the Leon, Leon game at the weekend. Nobody plans for that stuff, but ultimately... So what, it, it was a, a rubbish plan as well, is it? I didn't, I didn't it, hear it, the, I don't think it was a great plan, to be fair to him. It wasn't as... Uh, yeah, um, but... If you score three tries, it must be better than the opposition's plan. Mm. but I think we've given that enough airtime in terms of you know I think maybe if it was Scott Robertson we could have a debate about it um, what's your sense Quinny of the as he's he's, he's grinning what's your sense there of um, a, the the um, after a Cup final uh, response from Leinster, like they didn't, they themselves didn't show much hangover. Obviously against Glasgow, they're headed into a game this weekend. Um, it feels to me like there's no, from a Leinster point of view, putting that right. 
Like the URC ain't going to put that right over the next few weeks, no matter what happens. It's about getting back to a final, isn't it? And and proving that they, in Matt's words, that they uh, they don't stuff up or that they can get over the line. Yeah, I think if they obviously win win the URC, then they get over the loss of that 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 final. Um, if if I say I agree, I agree with Matt. He'll fall out with me. But anyway, I don't entirely agree with Matt at all. I, I don't think Matt meant it in the way. Maybe this. Um, it's hard for Rog to hear the words rubbish. I think he highlighted a few things, and obviously, I'll probably put this to Rog about the discipline. And it was probably one of the things that's in for me in commentary. Some of the penalties that Larichelle gave away, I thought um, they were silly penalties, and they made it difficult for themselves. But I thought they what they did really well. To say a performance and a plan isn't right. I thought the plan that that La Rochelle had, um, and it was a very obvious one because we spoke about it, Adrian. Um, and it's no secret. Um, the key to stopping Leinster's flow because they're so accurate and so good with the ball and their cohesion and timing a pass and all that it's brilliant. But if you encounter a side that are going to be up in your face, physical, aggressive, bring loads of emotion and. You know, La Rochelle beat Bordeaux twice in the round 16. They beat Montpellier. They beat um, uh, Racing. Uh, did really well in their group stages as well. So um, probably not, uh, you know, going into the game, we all probably got it wrong to the point of saying that, look, Lenz, I, I felt Leinster were going to be, it was going to be very difficult. And look, Rod, you can, it's if for you as a coach, I met you before the game and, I just thought you were relaxed, and I, I was. It didn't surprise me your self belief and uh, your co- not co- your confidence that your team would turn up, and that you obviously had a plan. Um, I met Victor Vito before the game. He told me it was the best training week that he'd seen um, your team for for ages. That they were buzzing. So when you get a plan and a structure, and you do so much of it right um, defensively, absolutely brilliant stopping Menster from from getting over the line. Um, the one negative, if you lost the game, would have been the penalties, I, I thought. But I don't think Robert, Matt meant it in the way that you... And, and to be fair, look, at, I do want to be fair to Matt as well, that I, that's a quote, now a direct quote, so I'm not misrepresenting, yeah, but there's obviously a, a um, bigger context to his chat as well. Come here, I, I wanted to ask you, Roland, we've only a few minutes left uh, with you, and we'll talk to Quinny you in a bit more detail about the URC semis, but the New Zealand tour, obviously upcoming the uh, couple of interprovincials that we've had recently and who's played themselves in and out. We'll come to that in a second. But the um, 10 conversation is ongoing and will be, obviously, uh, and will only get hotter, I presume, obviously, in the, the lead into the World Cup. No sense, Rona, that you'd leave Sexton at home for this and give the contenders to the Crown uh, a shot on the front line, is there? No, because Johnny, I think, is too important to... to to the Ireland team, the scenario isn't really improving, I suppose, in the bigger picture either. And the fact that it's whatever 15 months now from a Rugby World Cup, where uh, I suppose events in Munster or performances in Munster aren't helping Joy Carberry at all. And the fact that it's a team devoid of confidence and probably difficult to establish what way they're, they're playing the game. And he, I think always in teams, and I was most definitely a uh, a beneficiary of the this next comment is I think when your team goes well your your ten gets over appreciated and when your team goes poorly your your ten gets under appreciated. So that's most definitely the case I think for Joy Carby. I think it's it's 
it's hard for him to find his own form in a team that's struggling for form and he needs games and a lot of quality games um, because I think he definitely has the natural attributes to 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 push Johnny for that position. Is that um, nearly to say, Ronan, that like if he's in that Ireland team, for example, so if he went to New Zealand and he gave him a test or a couple of tests, that we'll see the true potential of him? Um, yeah, that's probably a bit broad, but I think in the fact that, it, like, you know, I mean, uh, Johnny's a competitor, but Johnny's 37 in the summer. There's very little playing at that level of test rugby with the belts that go along for 80 minutes. So you're probably, you need two. But the the difference, I suppose, the, the, the drop-off between Johnny and the others at the minute is, is, is quite large. And that can be, I think, reduced maybe with good training sessions, but also you need to be playing games and you need to make mistakes and you need to be getting minutes in the saddle. And that's that's how you become better as a number 10. And remember, you're probably around 30 is when you, when you hit your peak as a 10. Would you throw him in then against New Zealand, Carberry? I think he'll definitely be involved. Yeah, I think that fascinates me too. And the fact now for um, maybe because I'm involved so much in it. It's a 23-man game, Adrian. If people struggle with that, I think especially people of our generation and the fact that the game has changed so much. It's a 23-man game. This thing is starting, but you need uh, your playmakers um and, and especially at test level, like obviously, you know, I mean, kicking goals is so important too. So um, you need two tens, but I think we know that Johnny is proven and uh, and still at that level. Um, underneath that, there's question marks over a lot of them. Now that we've annoyed you for the morning, we let you off. Best of luck no, at the weekend. You didn't annoy me one bit. <laughs> no, it was good chat there. I enjoyed it. Um, yeah. As, as to, Quinny, be, to be continued. To be continued. As Quinny said, he didn't get a word in edgeways, Raj. So, you know, by contract, obviously, we've got, we've got to give him a few minutes now. Okay, see you. Come on. Cheers. Thanks, million. See you all. Bye-bye. We'll take on that point then, uh, Quinny, just about the players um, who might be on the plane, I suppose, at, uh, uh, for New Zealand. Have there been some players over the last few weeks that have almost, and I mean, maybe particularly in a Munster, uh, uh, maybe a Munster-tinted question, but have almost played themselves out? Um... It's been difficult. I think someone like Chris Farrell, um, who's played for played under Andy Farrell and Joe Schmidt, and been really effective, and and uh, it's been difficult for him getting ahead of of Henshaw, Aki, Ringrose for a number of years. Now you have James Hume, I think, who's after really jumping into that picture. If ones are winning and going into the knockout stages, I think Chris Farrell then is, you know, he still may go, but I just feel for him a little bit because um, even in in the last couple of weeks. Um, against Leinster and against Ulster, I thought Chris Farrell, you know, was, he's still making those carries. He's getting across the game and he's looking for people running off his shoulders. Um, so I, t- I still think he should go, but it depends how many midfielders they bring, but it could be difficult for him. Um, I thought Alex Kendellan put himself in the picture, probably with the performance against Toulouse, but then again, you know, difficult in the, those last two games. Um, even though he's making lots of tackles and he's all over the field. I think it's an incredible rise for him, given he's in the academy um, and and where he's come from. Um, the other players from Munster, look, I think Conor Murray, um, Keith Earls, Tygburn, um, you know, Craig Casey, I think they'll all be in the in the mix. 
I don't think they'll be punished for probably a poor season for Munster, you know, the way Munster finished off the season. But um, I was all hoping for Thomas Sahern to get a good run of games, you know, at the second half of the season and really kind of step up because I still believe he's he's a player who can play international rugby. Um, he hasn't got that, got injured in that game in Ulster. So it's not easy when your team are not losing because it's about perception that's been in the limelight. Um, but there's not many more who put their hands up and kind of put themselves in the picture. Um, so that that's probably difficult for them. You're a big fan of Jimmy O'Brien. Yeah, I am. I think he's uh I think he's what he's the way he's played for Leinster this season has been phenomenal. You know, I would have been very pro him being nominated in the first batch of European players after the pool games. Uh we had to nominate fifteen players to go forward to the knockout stages and uh, Jimmy O'Brien was in that group. Um, you know, the way he played in those pool games, the, the games against Bath, was it four tries over in Bath? I just think he's composure, control. Um, he's very physical. Uh, similar Similarities to Hugo Keenan. Doesn't make a mistake. Seems to be a very intelligent rugby player. And I just think he's grown so much. He's got he's to gotta go to New Zealand, I think. And um, I just think he's been absolutely brilliant. It's great to see Jordan Armour as well come back and show his class in the last couple of weeks. He's had two tough injuries again this year. And, you know, last weekend against Glasgow, he was just sensational. And it was like a reminder that uh, he hasn't gone away and this is what he can do out of nothing. Um, for Leinster, the other ones, then Joe McCarthy, I think, again, he's someone who'll, who'll go on the plane. And for such a young player, very, very physical. Ross Maloney, I think, um, obviously the way he's played for Leinster as well. So... Um, Frawley I think he's someone who, who again so there's a number of Leinster guys but obviously they're getting to the European final they're most you'd imagine this they get over the Bulls tonight get into a final and probably win it that's what we expect you'd never know obviously we, tonight is going to be a physical test for them but I just think the way some of those players have played and it's easier when you're when you're on the front foot same for Ulster you know Timoney has put himself back into the picture big time and you know, we we spoke last week. James Hume was never going to be. He's not a bolter because you know I think he was touted last November or the season he's had with Ulster. He's been absolutely brilliant. You mentioned Ulster, so uh, Stormers obviously in the in semi-finals. Does is there an element almost that beating Munster is a success for them already, Quinny, to have reached this stage, almost regardless, or is that too simplistic? It depends what happens. Um, it's very difficult for them. So if they lose against the Stormers in a tight game, obviously Dan McFarland would be very disappointed. But, you know, they've gotten near near the end, if you like. Um, it would be still very disappointed. But if they got walloped in South Africa and had a really poor performance, well, then it doesn't really count for anything. I think Ulster's biggest problem over the years has been consistency. And they've shown with sporadic, brilliant performances at times and um, what they can do when they when they get confident, their self-belief is up, when they execute well, um, they can they can be brilliant to be a handful for anyone. Um, mm. The win in Toulouse was incredible, but then they come back to Dublin or to back to Belfast and take a bit of mismanagement, poor defence, you know. So that's what Ulster, unfortunately, have done for the last number of seasons. So I still think they're capable of going to the Stormers. Like the Stormers are, are finished second in the table they actually lost the least amount of games, four games. And you think those four games were probably at the start, most they were at the start of the tournament when they didn't have their internationals. So 
they have two draws in there. Leinster finished top. Um, so it's a very difficult one. You know, they have the likes of Kitsov, Malherbe, uh, Hercul Yanches, Galant. A um, lot of really top-class players, but I just don't know if they can play the pace and tempo that Leinster will bring. We'll see. For Ulster, um, sorry, for what, what Ulster will bring. For Ulster, it's about bringing a physicality, particularly up front, and, and taking their opportunities. Conditions will be perfect. Um, and I, I think if they get flow into their game, well, they're very, they're confident. You, Balakun, uh, McCluskey, um, they're, they can be devastating, as they showed last week. Are you calling Leinster and Ulster, or how are you seeing it? Um, well, I'm calling Leinster, I think. Look, the, Leinster beat the Bulls 31-3 at the start of the season. It's going to be a bit tighter than that. Um, Kutsia, Marcel Kutsia was talking about that tempo and pace. So you're talking about Rogers' plan. Can Jake White bring a plan to the RDS and stop Leinster and, and stop their flow? I think they'll bring a lot of energy early on, but I don't know if they'll be able to sustain it. So I think Leinster will win that one. Um, I fancy Ulster a little bit. Um, definitely, I think it's, it, they've a great opportunity, but it's hard to... It's hard to go to South Africa and win a game like this. I think the South African teams have brought um, a lot of quality to the competition. So, look, it's probably going to be Leinster Stormers. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Jake White, after a smack talk about Connacht during the year, Quinny, we're all fired up about it. Nothing uh, nothing, nothing that riles us all up more than a bit of smack talk about Connacht. Good man. Thanks a million. Catch up with Jerry next Cheers. week. Thanks a lot, Alan Quinn. On the line there, running the guard before that. That's our uh, rugby coverage for this morning. And as I said, we'll pick it up again uh, next week. Post those uh, semis and uh, get Quinny's thoughts on that uh, come Monday morning. It is 13 minutes past nine. It's Friday morning. We're delighted to have you along with us. Plenty of comments uh, flooding into us on all sorts of fronts. We'll try and come to some of those before we leave you this morning. But you are watching OTPM brought to you live each morning uh, by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here is what's coming up on OTP Sports Radio over the course of the day. At one o'clock, OTP Gold, Emmanuel Petit. Uh, three o'clock is Friday Night Racing uh, live in your uh, ears. At that point, Johnny and Jer, Liam Coyle, Team 33, League of Ireland Legend at four and the life and times of uh, Ackelbox or Johnny Kilban at 6 o'clock on OTB Gold as well. You can follow us on all of our social channels. Subscribe to our YouTube as well. Uh, be sure to download the OTB Sports app for the very latest in sports content and analysis. And during the uh, next ad, you're going to hear and get a sense of how incredibly successful that's what it says in front of me here. Team OTB's efforts were at last weekend's tri-thigh with a teaser of the pre-race nerves uh, that we just simply embraced. So enjoy it. Uh, Team OTB, of course, taking on tri-thigh, all in association with Whoop, the personalised digital fitness and health coach that helps you unlock your inner potential. You can see whoop.com for more back after these. OTB AM. Uh, a few comments in, Alan O'Flynn. Finals are all about winning, so hats off to La Rochelle who did a, uh, did a job on the day. Damien says, disingenuous to Ronan Agara considering the time he gives to OTB. Not quite sure what he means by that. Uh, Leinster sour grapes with added salt, says Dave Coz. Somebody else was wondering a bit earlier, on if you'd brought me back a continental cheese board. Oh yeah, I should have done that. Spain. That would have been good. You would have enjoyed that. Right, the monster of all. I haven't been talking to you since the monster of all cheese boards. Oh yeah, for the Hunting Cup final. I, th- I must have jinxed things. Yeah, I should yeah. Have waited until it, it was done. Looked great. When, oh, when's the next one? Absolute cracker. I think the URC semis aren't doing it for me. I'm no, I, no I get, I get that. Yeah, I might sort of get over the disappointment of the Hunting Cup final and have one for the URC final if they get that far. Of course. Oh, wow. You'll, ne- you'll never overstep oh. the mark again with answer <laughs> expectations. No, with assuming anything. <laughs> 
Right, oh, quarter past nine, and uh, thanks for all those comments, by the way, even the ones that I don't fully understand. Uh, please do keep them coming into us with you for the next 45 minutes thereabouts. Uh, time to go back to an item, uh, a couple of lads we spoke to three months ago, uh, that were preparing at that point, uh, far into the distance, to row the uh, with the Atlantic Ocean from New York City to Galway. And I'm delighted to say they're back in the line, Damien Brown and Fergus Farrell. Morning, lads. Morning, Adrian. Uh, morning, or what time? In the middle of the night? Kind of. <laughs> 4.15 in the morning, yes. I, and I say spoke to both of you last time. Not exactly true, of course, and I'm delighted to see that I think you're both in at least some sort of a setup, Fergus, where you ain't going to get kicked out anytime soon. No, fingers crossed. <laughs> Good man. So you're in New York. Yeah, we yeah. are. Um, What's the... What, what, I, I saw, saw somewhere you could be setting sail as early as today. No, not quite today now. Um, Saturday, um, around the three or four o'clock mark, we're hoping to uh, row out of Manhattan. Is, yeah. that, is that that's based on weather conditions and everything else? Yeah, that's correct. And tides and just giving us the right weather window to give us the best opportunity to uh, row out and get as much distance between ourselves and landmass, you know. Are you waiting for ideal conditions or are you waiting for just enough to get you out there? Uh, ideal conditions would be great, but no, probably just enough to get us out there and get us enough and get us safely uh, away from from uh, landmass as, as much as possible. Because that's um, probably the 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 most difficult part of this journey is getting away from New York, the harbour, and getting away from the uh, the coastline. What are the what? I mean, this might be the daftest question of all time, but what are the dangers of of that? Well, when you when you when you're when you're close to the coastline, you've you've obviously you got your you've uh, tide tidal influences, onshore winds, um, which play a massive factor because the boat has a, a lot of uh, windage, which means that the it can be manipulated by strong winds. Um, so you know, any closer to, to the coastline, uh, the boat can be obviously there's, there's more things out in the sea. Also, there's a a very busy shipping lane getting out of New York City, as you could imagine. Um, so we're, we're, there's, there's boats coming from every angle because you've got the commuter boats, you've got um, cargo boats, you've got sightseeing boats, um, you have just uh, private sh- ships and private yachts, and it's just um, there's jet skis out there. There's, it's, it's a minefield when you're rowing out of here, actually. Um, so it's just all those elements and as I said the further out you get um, the wind uh, is still a huge factor but the thing is you know you can be blown 30-40 miles one way and blown 30-40 miles the other way but there's actually nothing to hit but if that happens closer into the coastline yeah you can get into serious trouble and um, you know we only had manpower so uh, if if we hit hit strong winds we're in serious trouble Mm. And, and Damien, what's the plan for navigating around that stuff that Damien's talking about? Like, I mean, if there's a cargo liner coming at you, but you've obviously got your radars and everything else going on. What's your, um, how do you, how do you actually navigate that stuff? Well, simply enough, one of us will row and one of us will keep um, our eyes up and try and mitigate any sort of um, uh, collision, I suppose, uh, by moving early or showing intent around that because. Uh, you know, as slow and as kind of uh, um, 
awkward as we are in the water, they're a lot more awkward and a lot more um, mm. difficult to maneuver in, in a tight shipping channel like that. So it'll be up to us to kind of get out of their way. I mean, in a, a really um, poor case or an emergency case, we'll just be getting on the radio and letting them know, like, because they mightn't see us, you know, uh, if we're close enough to them for whatever reason, uh, just letting them know we're there. We're there and uh, to for them to show some sort of... Um, directional uh, movement for it to kind of miss us but uh, you really really need to be kind of um, foreseeing that early so uh, you can make maneuvers to get out of their way Is that just an issue for the first day or so Damien and then once you're out into the open water it's uh, it's it's all good and you won't necessarily need to, to rely on that element of the preparation too much Yeah because you know once we get out of kind of that busy New York Harbour um, those shipping lanes um, we won't like have both of us on deck at once. You know, it'll be just basically one guy rowing and the other um, in the cabin, mostly like probably sleeping most of the time at least. Uh, so then it'll be uh, the a- what thing called an AIS that we have. So it's an automatic identification system. So it's it's like a radar basically, and it shows us up on uh, other ships and vessels AIS, and of course it shows them up to us by simply by beeping you know so if you hear that uh you do your kind of um heart jumps a little bit because you like you know that there's a big ship probably a big ship within two kilometers of you and um if it's dark you know <laughs> mm. um you uh first things first is you kind of you, you have a bit of worry i suppose on, on their direction but you can check that straight away on the gps to see if there's any sort of collision like because they could be within two kilometers but kind of going on a completely different bearing when they won't come anywhere near you so you just got to confirm that first and if there is some sort of close uh, encounter going to happen and again you just get on the, the vhf radio which is the intership radio and just let them know you're there and, and let them know your course and, and again they will uh, avoid you how long does it take to get through that uh, like an encounter like that no i mean the that that concern I, I might be overstating there but that sort of um, been on your toes a bit for the first little bit is that how long does it take to get through that before you get out like uh, Fergus was talking about the open water and you're away from all that you know the tidal influences and the, the traffic I reckon, you know there's a big um, shipping lanes or a lot of shipping traffic kind of up the coast of North America so once we're about 200 miles out we'd be well clear of that and then right. you just have to about the shipping lanes going Jesus, across the Atlantic. I thought you were going to say about two miles. <laughs> no, no. So, wow. uh, yeah, like, well, obviously, the further we get out, the kind of the less stress there will be around that. But, uh, mm. um, yeah, that's the sort of distance where the traffic would be, like, dramatically reduced. And uh, and then it's kind of more the, the cargo ships that are going transatlantic that, like, there's a possibility that we could encounter, but less so. In a way, is the quietness and the solitude and the moments where you're not having to react to dangers like that actually the biggest challenge of this whole thing? Like, I know you'll have each other, but as you said there, Damien, there's going to be significant moments where you'll just be on your own. The other person will be trying to, to rest up, trying to get some sleep, that it is that solitude in the middle of the ocean, that that could actually be the, the biggest mental challenge over the next little while. Yeah, and and just the relentlessness of the mm. ocean, like it never it never lets you rest. Particularly as as much as you know, we might envisage this kind of uh, tranquil 
experience at times. It, you have to imagine that the wind is always blowing and howling, uh, and the waves are always roaring. And um, you know, it, it's it's unusual to have a very calm night where, like the you know, the sky is like full of trillions of stars, and you think, "Want to just sit back and relax and just enjoy it?" Because uh, you're more than likely uncomfortable in some way if it's not your arse from sitting down for the last 50 days, whatever, 10 days, 20 days. Your hands are probably in bits just from holding the oars for 12 hours a day. Uh, and you're probably wet or at some, you know, on some level or have some level of wetness. So you're probably uncomfortable. You may have pressure sores. You may have kind of sea sores. So, you know, and then the, the ocean is tipping the boat here, there and everywhere. So you're just about barely staying on the seat you know so you know it's just this relentless battle of uh, discomfort that you have to try and uh, kind of get through um, uh, um, for whatever it may be two months three months will there be uh, fergus do you think like you guys know each other years and we we were chatting a bit about that the last time how, how long have you been in new york actually well personally i've been here since the 23rd of uh, may uh, so it's a good stretch to be in here, and um, it's a, you know it's been a good time in New York. But I have to say, um, I'm really looking forward to getting out on the boat and getting away from all the chaos that's around here. It's a it's a it's a busy, busy city, and it's uh, plenty of noise going on. And but we've needed every 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 um, we've needed all the time we've had here. You know, uh, we're still a lot to do before we actually manage to row out. So um, yeah, really looking forward to. Pushing away. What have you got left to do? Oh God, um, we still have some um, uh, medical supplies to get. We still have some um, uh, chivalry, chandlery uh, uh, stuff to get. Uh, we have um, what else are there? Demo. Um, just got to set up a few of the systems in terms of like the, just the tracking system needs to go live and satellite phone needs to be set. SIM just needs to be put in and activated and same with the broadband satellite uplink that we have so a few little things like that um, and then just kind of a few comfort things on the boat you know to make life a little bit more comfortable than uh, it could possibly be do you start either of you, and maybe particularly for you, Damien, do you, at this point, are you starting to get yourself into game mode? Are the butterflies kicking in? Like, what's your usual experience now of narrowing the eyes and getting set for um, set for departure? Yeah, I had a kind of window of that yesterday when we got close to confirmation. It's not fully confirmed, but we're probably leaving on Saturday afternoon, as Gussie said. So I kind of had that first thing. It was like the, the the reality of, okay, here we go now. Like, it's as you said, it's game day. Like, you know, and this is happening. Up until that, I was kind of just present. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking too much about what's coming, you know, but that definitely focused the attention on, okay, now, well, let's kind of start to visualize what it's going to look like navigating New York Harbor and getting out underneath the Versano Bridge and um, and uh, all the possible stressors that could come there. So uh, yeah, since since yesterday, it's it's kind of definitely kicked into that mode of right, <laughs> this is happening and it's the time is finite and you know we got to start to prepare mentally. 
and Fergus, you're, you're like three weeks in New York, and obviously, uh, like Damien was saying there, the stressors are getting out there, and I presume the stressors are getting everything together and get ready as well. You know each other for years, but I'm sure that that's going to, and there will be points of tension, I'm sure, between the two of you in the, in the relationship as you, as you move forward. Are you anticipating that? Are you talking about that? Or is it just going to be all grand once you get out there? What's going to be happening out in the water, and uh, I suppose look at um, our relationship is fairly strong over the years, and we've had plenty of moments where we've been pretty um, thick with each other, angry with each other, and you know what, um, it never seems to um, last too long. And you know, obviously, being out in that ocean is a different scenario altogether. But I think um, we would be able to deal with this. Um, head on when it happens and just to be honest with our with each other and if there's something bothering us just let it out rather than letting it boil up and then this like become a bigger thing than it should be um, so you know we haven't really talked too much about it because we really haven't had the time or you know the headspace to do that in the last few weeks um, but it's definitely something that is one of the big things on the ocean when you're doing a you know, a, a rose pair. It's a one relationship um, for whatever amount of days it is. So we really have to work on it. Really have to work hard on it. Um, but look, it's going to be roused. It's going to be moments, and you know, you're going to be fatigued. You're going to be tired. You're going to, you know, you're going to be angry with yourself. You're going to be angry with the ocean. And, and I suppose the best thing to do is, you know, um, let it out and don't hold it in. And I think we'll we'll cope quite well with that. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we started off in this journey as great friends, and we want to end up at the end of the journey as great friends as well. You know. Yeah. Well, look at people are behind you. And we wish you every success, and we, we're really looking forward to seeing how you get on. Damien, remind us just how people can keep on top of uh, what you guys are doing, whether it be the podcast or anywhere else. Yeah, we have a few different ways that we're going to share this journey. So through our social medias, which is um, Project Empower. 2022 our personal social medias um will be kind of sharing out like daily pictures and hopefully kind of like mini blogs if you want and then um have a daily dispatch from the ocean through my podcast which is called deep roots uh so people can kind of get a um, a real kind of insight into the uh, challenge and the demands of an ocean row which are um, extreme to say the least so yeah just um, that'll be yeah like I said a daily dispatch of whatever 10-15 minutes from the ocean so so that'll be a cool way for people to follow and um, uh, and uh, that's it really social media and the podcast yeah we'll look at we'll uh, and we'll tweet those out as well so people can keep on top of it the uh, captain's run is done lads you're you've been really good to get up in the middle of the night to come and chat to us we were really eager to catch up with you before you set off best of luck with everything we um we'll really be hope that we're chatting to you in whatever 55 days and 12 hours time uh, after you set sail and you've got that 126 year record in the bag so well done and best of luck cheers lads thanks thanks so much Thanks a lot. That's uh, Fergus Farrell and Damien Brown on the line there uh, from New York as they get ready to set sail uh, tomorrow. That's probably not the correct, exact terminology. Um, set off. Go. <laughs> to go. They get ready to go tomorrow. I wasn't expecting them to say 200 miles, I have to say, when they were talking about the shipping channels and the tides and all that.
Yeah, well, you learn something new every day about uh, New York geography, Adrian. Um, that's yeah, it's going to be a hell of a challenge, and uh, I'm just glad that there was no um, pub owner or restaurant owner or hostel owner, or whatever it was last time, who uh, who kicked one of the lads out of their current location. How was your first day back? Good. How was yours? Yeah, it was good. It was great to have you back. I stayed back in the hot seat in a week. I was, uh, yeah, there was a I'd say we'll have to wait another week before we see you on the show, will we? Huh? We'll have to wait another week before we see you oh, on the sorry, show. Yeah. This is the <laughs> yeah, that's correct, Tom. That is yeah. that is accurate. Listen, it was great to have you back. No, it was great. And thanks a million to yourself and Colin for inviting me in for the, the buddy chat at the top. This is something like we actually didn't touch on on the show before, but anybody at home probably doesn't realise this, but uh, Adrian and Colin are fond of a few Friday evening pints every so often, a few oh, Friday socials, wow. and wow, 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 some wow, people wow, just wow. don't get the uh, the invite. But it was good to be invited into your into your conversation at the top of the show this morning. I look forward to joining the Adrian and Colin show next Friday. And then sometimes you get invited and you just you pie people off on. That's sometimes also what happens. Mm, yeah, that's uh, yeah. We won't. We don't want to start a fight here now, do we? So um, I just wanted to make people at home aware of uh, of what the real dynamics are here. Col- Colm is Colm is insisting that I ask you out. No, I can't do that just at the minute because I have prior plans. But I mean, I am as you're well aware. On uh, we have a long-standing drinks appointment that we need to get to at some point soon. So we'll do that. Okay. Great to have you back. Was really how I started that conversation. Yeah. And how we no, good to up. be here. Uh, OTVAM at twenty-five to ten on this Friday morning. Great. Thanks for coming in. Uh, brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're back on Monday morning, half past seven. Owen and Nathan. Uh, the lads are going to be joined by Anthony Moyles in studio. Reaction to the football qualifiers, big games over the weekend. Gavin Cooney is going to uh, react to that. Ireland's win over Scotland. Uh, tomorrow, and we'll have the rugby followers as well with Alan Quinlan and plenty more as well. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.